On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are taking a walk through Ryan Murphy's White House in Impeachment, American Crime Story on BBC Two, strolling through Joe Hill's Key House in season two of Lock and Key on Netflix, and finally, we are back among the bellends for the triumphant return of the family Roy in season three of Succession on Sky Atlantic. But that is not all, because Ben Aldridge... Asshole guy himself uh, <laughs> joins us on the show to talk about his new show, The Long Call, on ITV. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, a show that, contrary to expectations, will not be spending the next 90 minutes breaking down in minute detail the recently revealed teaser trailer for the sixth and final season of The Expanse, which airs in December. Though mainly, as I'm not sure my co hosts would stand for it. And speaking of which, I am once more joined by the other two wheels on the pilot TV Robin Reliant, Boyd Hilton and Beth Webb. How the devil are you? Yeah, really good. Really enjoy being Better than you. tired. I'm very tired. Listeners, today. let's not beat around the bush. Oh, God. Let's not <laughs> pretend that, you know, Beth and I are fine, but James, our glorious host, mm-hmm. is basically totally fucked and can barely, like, bring himself to utter a sentence, let alone present this. But let's, and that's, I, that's it, the fact. It's possible I've not had a lot of sleep. We've got a drained uh, bellend on our. I, on yeah. Our I mean, and that, you never want that. That's a terrible situation to be in. I'm very tired. I haven't had time to do a script, so we're just going to fucking make this shit up as we go along. Uh, I've just conked out in the middle of the Empire podcast because I just ran out of energy. <laughs> basically collapsed halfway through the show. It was just like, I need chocolate. If you're wondering why James doesn't speak for the entire second hour it's, to it's basically, yeah, of it's Empire, it's because... Yeah, yeah you and then collapsed. I left it early to come and do this. I, I literally walked out. It's fine know. because I once did an, one of my Arsenal podcasts. You know, I do an Arsenal podcast. I, I do the yeah. Arsenal every week, yeah. listeners, if you're yeah. an Arsenal fan. And we, I once did an episode after a ma- an away trip to Manchester, to Manchester United, in the car, going back to London with Derma, uh, etc. My 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 colleagues drunk. When you say Derma, you we of course were, mean celebrity Derma, Derma O'Leary. TV's yes. Derma O'Leary. Okay. <laughs> we had a lovely <laughs> bottles of of red wine, and we were and we did it. Absolutely, genuinely drunk. Did you? Yeah. So that was, I mean, that was how unprofessional other podcasts can be. Yeah, I must admit, I'm also perhaps a touch worse for wear this morning as well, yeah. um, which is not good. And it's like, I'm not a drinker. Like, I'm not a big drinker. So I, I have no, not, eh? like the tolerance for alcohol of like a small child. Yeah. So it's not it's not great. Like me and I thought you didn't drink at all. So what, yeah. what, what very, beverage, what was your, what's your alcoholic beverage well, of choice? Well, so, so I was in a bar and uh, it, was, it was rum and, rum and diet coke, full fat coke and I'd be bouncing off the walls. Uh, rum and diet coke because rum is tastes a bit like sweets. Not like Sambuca, which is properly like sweets. I quite it's like Sambuca. It's a bit like sweets. But rum tastes a bit like sweets. So I quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 one of the waiters at this bar was leaving. He was going back to Poland, and it was his last night there. So he was buying everyone tequila. Oh. So and tequila is vile. But, but tequila you know, is lethal. They were that giving us tequila. tequila oh, that explains yeah. everything. Yeah. James diet on tequila. That is all we need to know <laughs> about this. Know. About the next yeah. whatever, however many hours. <laughs> so so slightly hungover. Not had any sleep really because I missed my last train and then was wandering around the East End at like one in the morning oh and had to find a hotel and ended up in this ridiculous hotel like near Aldgate and it had, a, like the wallpaper had this giant sort of 
looked like a Ryan Murphy character, actually, this sort of matronly, sort of terrifying woman, like looming over the bed. This what? is the wallpaper. This is, this is like the episode of Ted Lasso. This is like the after, after hours episode yeah, of Ted Lasso. It was. You, it James Dyer's got his it own was. special bottle James episode. James After Hours. Is exactly James what After Hours. So you've got me wandering aimlessly around Aldgate. I go into some some random sort of like 7-Eleven type thing and pick up a slightly sort of wilting cheddar salad bagel uh, sort of thing. And I'm eating that. Like It's not a bagel, a baguette. I'm eating stuff in a baguette in my face. And I go into this thing. And like, so, so, so I go into this room. Then this room has a lamp made out of a garden hose. What? So it's, no. I, I shit you not. Oh, wow. I, no, I've, got, I've got a picture of it right here. I mean, I appreciate this probably isn't good for the podcast. It's an audio medium. But that is oh, the hose it's lamp. It's like a gnarled, wow. like mustard yellow hose. A gnarled hose. mustard yellow hose. This was the lady above my bed. So, yeah, as you see what I mean, something out of American Horror Story. Ryan Murphy, yeah. 100%. I mean, not literally. And then, and then in the bathroom, this was coming out the wall. Tiny baby hand. A a pink, a plastic pink hand was coming out the wall, which I can only assume was one of the former guests has just been sort of murdered again, Ryan Murphy style, (laughs) and just bricked up in the bathroom. And they're just, that's them trying to get out. You've basically been in a David Lynch film for that. It was a bit like that. And then I was woken up at 6 a.m., having been to bed at 3. I was woken up at 6 a.m. by the sound of someone sort of presumably being murdered in the alley next to the hotel. I was like, oh my God, what is this? So I get up and then I'm wandering around fucking Tower Hamlets at seven o'clock in the morning looking for a bagel, which I do find, to be fair. Um, And then I came into the office. Wow. So... Well, so that I was mean, that was James After Hours, the yeah, experimental yeah. new episode. I'm going to write this up and send it as a as a, yeah. as a, as a spec script to yeah, um, as a treatment. Yeah, to yeah. someone that I'd like to see. I, at no point was I sort of in an underpass being pursued by Jamie Tart's dad. Like that didn't happen. No, but, uh, no, but you know everything else. But design wise, what you've shown us, you sh- listeners, you showed us pictures of the, the little lamp and the yeah. and the painting and the weird. Rubber hand, hand yeah, the str- I mean, rubber is, man coming like, out. If you'd have watched that on a TV show, mm. you'd have thought this is a bit over. It's a bit over the top. No, no one, no one would really have a hotel yeah. room like that, would they? Yeah, yeah that's my. Yeah, it was, my it was, it was, it was an experience. Memorable. Wow. I'm not even sure it really happened. It could have been a while. In fact, if I didn't I, have the pictures, I'd assume it was a dream. None of us are <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, so, so that's a that's a thing that happened to me. So that's, that's good. Okay. Um, but you know, outside of the reality of my Ryan Murphy slash Ted Lasso life, you know, what's been happening in the world of TV? What are we doing? Sorry. Are we doing- <laughs> oh, sorry. See what I did there. What the I did was now. used language that made you think we'd skip to news, but actually all I meant was what you've been watching. I just say whatever comes into my mind. What's been happening in the world of your TV, Beth? Except, except, and I've been meaning to ask this for several weeks now, several weeks now, and I keep forgetting to do it. And that's obviously we are the world's greatest TV podcast. <laughs> obviously. Obviously. And Boyd has enough TV to make up for seven or eight regular people on a podcast. Yeah. And yet it came to light once before when Beth was on the podcast. Beth, TV journalist Beth Webb. Oh, I know what TV pundit Beth yeah. Webb. Expert in TV Beth Webb. There's no television. Now, Beth, is this still the case? Now, I'm glad you asked you. Because uh, I moved house in about, when did I move? June. And I've acquired not one. But two televisions, one the size two. of a small punto, and the other, I have a bedroom television now as well, so I have two televisions, Why, and I from... don't know what to do with myself. That's I don't know what to do. To How big is the big television? So big. Yeah. It's like, I, and I mean, I'm not telly. I'm not like you with your, your 12,000 inch or whatever. What, 78, what, 78. Okay. Yeah. But it is the size of a small car or person, at least. Um, but I still don't really use it. So I <laughs> can't really work it. And I'm also uh, just like, <clears throat> I can't quite get around the size of it. So I'll, sometimes I'll just watch things on my laptop still. 
I just can't. You know, there's that bit in, is it Winter Soldier, where they're talking about how they can't sleep on the beds because the beds are too comfortable. And so they sleep on the floor because it's what they're used to. And that's what I do. I watch things on my little laptop because I can't <laughs> deal with the sheer magnitude of the television. That is, uh, that is um, insane. When I moved yeah. into my first flat uh, and I was used to living at home, I, I all my stuff I just put into the bedroom yeah. and I, my TV in the bedroom. And the bed, and I just lived in the bedroom for like the first week and didn't leave the bedroom, like because I was so used to existing in one room, I didn't understand how to exist in multiple rooms. I was like, no, no, this is terrifying. There's too much space. This is like weird. one of those videos yeah. online of dog. You see, of dogs who who, who are suddenly plucked from you know some situation they're put into it and they yeah. they can't move anywhere and they're all little like yeah. curled up next to something. That was it. Yeah, like next to a radiator. Yeah. Not want to go out. I like turn it on, run out the room, and then like peer around the corner just to yeah. just to kind of and then inch in to kind of get used to it. So, yeah, I got two teddies. Two Bethy Two Tellies, that's your mafia name. Wow. That's incredible. Okay, well, I was going to say that we'd have to fire you, but now really, we don't have to because you own not one but two televisions. Two televisions. I only own one. Good Lord. This yeah, I only own yeah. one, yeah. 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 I mean, you, again, Boyd, yeah. like, you know, you, I had a few, you, where would you put another one? I did have a few people questioning or just commenting on the fact that I said I was having a little bit of a go at Sky Glass for not for making <laughs> not making a bigger version than 65. <laughs> not at all privileged yeah. briefing that you I'm gave I'm aware it. of the privilege, but... Um, it was nevertheless, and they, and I had some interesting replies to that on Twitter. People saying, kind of, basically that you know this proposition is is not really aimed at you know twats like me. It's aimed at you know it's fair kind of middle market type. And someone else wants me to post a picture, so I'll try and remember to do that at some point. Wide angle lens, presumably. Wide angle lens. Yeah. It's also it is also a curver. My TV as well. Oh boy, yeah. Which oh, I don't boy. know. See, that's a marketing gimmick. You should never I have know, been sucked I in. For it. I fell for it, yeah. I mean, it's a few years old now. I probably need to replace it with another, even bigger model. But um, it is a curve. I quite like the curve, the curve thing. You know, like James is looking. Well, they only looking. did it so that they could they could show people that there was a tangible difference between HD and 4K televisions. Right. It's like, look, it look, it's curved, so it must be the special 4K thing. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I I totally agree that it's a marketing thing, and I ever fell for it. But you know, nonetheless, I love it, and it's my pride and joy. That's that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. I'm glad we've established this. So, Beth, what have you been watching on not one but two televisions over the past week? <laughs> Running between, I put them both on at the same time, yeah. and then run between the rooms yeah. just to make sure. Not very much to be. Well, not very much I can talk about. So I've done some interviews with Pilot this week, which will come to surface in some form or another. But I don't know if I can. So I've watched episodes of Dope Sick and Evan Welsh's Crime. And I'm assuming both are under embargo, so I will say absolutely nothing <laughs> about those. And then our incredibly long shows we've had to watch this week. And then a smattering of Seinfeld. I have watched a smattering ah. of Seinfeld as like a sheer silly shot of like dopamine amidst all this very intense, very stressful watching. So that's all I've managed this week. Light, light on the viewing. I mean, okay. fair enough. That's you have fair. Been, yeah. yeah, we've kept you busy. Kept you busy. Yeah, yeah, it's been a lot. I finished a little show um, you may have heard of called Squid Game, which is now so oh, no. all pervasive, isn't it? It's weird, isn't it, in, in the culture now, if I can be a bit pretentious for a minute. But something goes from, you know, I kept making the point that it was not um, widely publicised by Netflix, yeah. Yeah. which it wasn't really, I don't think. Um, and we like we didn't review it. We didn't, we weren't given screeners. I weren't alerted to its existence. And it's gone, gone from that. It's gone from not really knowing anything about it arriving in a surprise thing to being the most talked about thing, not just TV thing, yeah. but cultural thing but, yeah. in the fucking world yeah. right now. Best on TV talking about every day, I'm pretty so much. Sick of it. Um, so sick or on of radio. It. <laughs> um, another mate of mine has also been on TV about five times talking about it. And uh, I've written an article about in heat about it. I mean, you know, it's mentioned on the cover, which never yeah. happens. 
Um, and now I've actually finished it, right? But what I wanted to say about it, having finished it, is that what I realised watching finishing it is that clear away. Or you haven't watched it, yet, have you? By the I way, I haven't. James no. I know. No. But the annoying thing is, I now kind of feel I have to. Of course you do. Of course you do. But the thing about it is, I think that once you clear away the the high concept premise. And the everyone talks about the you know it's an incredibly eye catching premise. It's a, the squid, the squid. Yeah, it's an incredibly. Um, I keep. I'm gonna stop, I have to stop using the word incredibly because I get people get annoyed. It's a spectacularly violent mm. thing, and yeah. people talk about that, and that all of this, these things are valid. But what is kind of missed a little bit, I think, is the fact that the reason why I think it's so huge is because it's an unbelievably great piece of work and the more you, you get into it the 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 brilliance of the filmmaking um the the plotting because you think you can't when i think when it's described to you oh this is about uh, um children's games turned into adult killing machines basically yeah. and it's you know horrendous that you kind of think oh so it's going to be like a game every week and it's going to be a bit repetitive but it's so clever how it advances character and storyline mm. at the same time as giving you these spectacularly horrendous quite painful to watch game sequences in which people brutally die james um and so but it's the brilliance of it if the script the um characters the unforgettable characters and and just the way it, it, it so it's like in it always every single episode works brilliantly i think yeah and, yeah. and in slightly different ways like there's an episode where there's a kind of surprise game and everyone sets upon each other mm. and, and that's shot in this like it, it, the light goes on and off like it's like a flashing light and that sequence is just fucking incredible. You know, if that was like in a, in a film, in an action thriller film, watching it in a huge screen in the cinema, you'd be like, this is one of the greatest action yeah. sequences I've seen yeah. for ages. And that's just one bit that comes to mind. Yeah. Every episode has moments like that. which are just, so. And this guy who created it, who wrote, directed and created it, famously waited 10 years. But it's it, it feels like he's over those 10 years, he's honed this to being an absolutely brilliant piece of work. And I think that's what it's not... So above and beyond the eye-catching premise... Etc. I think it's become a, a, a proper film because it's so fucking great. Yeah. It's really, really, but absolutely incredible. Isn't the other part of this that it has, this has kind of massively validated Netflix's yeah. marketing yeah. strategy by which they don't market things? This anti-hype thing, yeah. you know, which we've scoffed at because, frankly, it makes us redundant. Oh, I've never but, scoffed. I'm more, I, I find it fascinating. I've never scoffed. I've tried not to Well, you scoff. know what I mean? Like, in, I it is weird. Yes, we believe, obviously, yeah. that critics are essential and yeah. they should show oh, us right, everything yeah. and our opinion matters. And Netflix are like, fuck you. We can just put this shit out yeah. and everyone in the world will watch it. Then there's nothing you can do. <laughs> and yeah, at the same time, they do. It's not, but the funny thing is, it's not like they don't really um, hype certain things. They yeah. do. They do massively hype. Like Stranger Things, every single series of Stranger Things has been hyped to within an inch of its life. And, and that, that's carrying on, you know. The, the extent, mm. I mean, they had the whole to-doom thing. <laughs> they did, yeah. Which yeah. was a huge hype fest for them, wasn't it? Yeah. For all their shows. It's just certain shows. Yeah. They decide that it doesn't need that. And I think certain shows, tactically, they think it's going to be more exciting for people to discover it themselves um, rather than us tell you about it. Do you think so? Or do you think that they did? Is it that it went the other way and they didn't really have much faith in it? Or do you think they really did genuinely think they were onto something that could become their biggest show ever? <laughs> no one like could have seen that. Like 111 No one could have seen that. No that. Seen that. But I have a sneaky, I mean, I may be being naive and crediting them with you. I, I have a sneaky suspicion that they do a little bit 
work that way. Ted Sarandos, if you're listening to the podcast yeah. now, please come on next week and explain to us the strategy behind Squid Game and I how that works. Fair enough. Okay. Um, so Squid Game, finished it. Um, yes. Absolutely amazing. It's definitely going to be in my top, you know, five of the year mm. as a, just as a thing you have to watch it you have to come yeah, to oh, oh, unless I add it to the same list as I may destroy you for great things that I will just no, never watch no I mean that's ridiculous you've got to watch it absolutely. Um, we should really do a special episode on it to be yeah, fair at some point or our own when squid game the time, you know, or our own comes game, yeah. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention a couple of things sweetly sorry I'm taking too long there's a Paul Merson one-off documentary on the BBC Paul Merson is an ex-Arsenal player um, he's a legend so not comedian Paul Merton no Paul Merson oh Merson. right I was going to say <laughs> I know Paul Merton is Boy. He, what are you talking about? Yeah, sorry. He had a one-off documentary on BBC One this week, um, which was about his addiction to gambling. Um, and it's called something like Paul Merson, um, Football, uh, Gambling and Me. I think that's what it's called. It's on the iPlayer, obviously. But it's one of the most uh, moving and important in the sense of I think it can really help people. If you are addicted to kind of anything, but particularly gambling, I think mm. the gambling is such an evil thing, an evil addiction, which I, I myself have tempted at various times, I kind of tempted, oh, should I download that gambling app, you know, that yeah. whatever. In fact, yeah. fuck, I haven't, because I think I probably would have, you know, potentially ruined my life. <laughs> but it did ruin Paul Merson's life, and he is he has just spent his life addicted to gambling and, is, and has thrown away hundreds of thousands, probably millions of wow. pounds. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's really shocking. And he, but what's great about the documentary is he, he meets scientists to explain actually what happens to your brain when you are addicted to something and particularly gambling in this case and he meets um, people whose lives have been affected by it it's, it's just a fantastic this is your brain mm. this is your brain on paddy power right kind of thing. I mean exactly like that mm. yeah literally yeah. you can see highlights it's mm. quite incredible to see bits of the brain literally light up when you're but they showing. do it this is in video games well it's like loot boxes where you get it's that the idea that you're opening packs you don't know what's going to be in it so you pay for the chance to get something great but you've no idea like loads of these games are built on that idea which does introduce the very concept of gambling to young kids and exactly mm. as you say the, the chemical reaction in the brain is addictive yeah yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and finally, I wanted to mention Only Murders in the Building, which we did review and we all loved it, I seem to remember. I mean, oh, sure. Good. Didn't you? I, I, it was fine. Oh, you soulless twat. I, I haven't watched it yet, but I am going to save this. There are certain things that I reserve for like seasonal watches. And oh. this feels like a lovely like autumnal oh, yeah. Christmassy oh, watch gotcha. for me. Oh, it will totally work um, in that way. Yeah, Because I've kind of heard it's it's kind of Nora Efron-esque and it's like yeah. buildings yeah. and things. And I always associate that with the colder months. That absolutely makes sense. But it is... I loved it from the start. Watched the you know first two or three episodes when we reviewed it on the show. It's the Steve Martin, uh, Marty Short, Selena Gomez kind of spoof comedy whodunit thing with podcast mystery podcast crime podcast element to it. But it's just got better and better and better. It, and there was an episode, episode seven, which went out I think last week. It's entirely in American Sign Language, and it is a beautiful Aww. piece of work. So, so you're saying it's actually in American Sign Language and not. For example, when I watched that episode of Legion <laughs> without my headphones plugged in properly yes. and assumed they were making an incredibly bold yes. production choice because one of the characters was deaf. And I was like, this is yeah. incredible television. Yeah. I can't believe they've done this. Yeah. This is just groundbreaking. Oh, no, I don't have my headphones plugged in. Yeah. Oh, someone mentioned on, someone, someone mentioned, mentioned this on Twitter on because Twitter, apparently yeah. they watched an episode of C and there, right. was a, and there was no picture and again they thought they'd made this incredibly bold choice to have an episode of C where you can't, can't see, see anything yeah. and then they realised no yeah. this signal's just fucked it's actually oh not that at all God, yeah. no the American so Sign Language episode <laughs> is deliberate and absolutely in right. American Sign Language because um, one of the characters sons is, is deaf and um, it's just brilliantly done but then it, it, on top of that which is a complete triumph of an episode and that will win awards because it's so um, brilliantly done is that just the story gets more and more kind of intrinsically fascinating and you're 
and, and thrilling. And there are twists in the whodunit storyline yeah. that work as well, if not better, than the best, you know, proper Agatha Christie, you know, serious, intense whodunits. Yeah. It's, it's just brilliantly conceived and done. And what started out, you first watch it, you know, oh, this is a kind of a Nora Ephron y bit of lovely celebratory of New York and all these great, these, this great cast, but the, but which is all tr- valid and true. Mm. But it's the whodunit element of it that I've been, I think it's so clever. And I can't wait to find out, you know, it finishes. So we're a week behind America, annoyingly. Um, but this is the penultimate one this week. Um, and then the final finale will be the next week. And I can't, and it's just been brilliant. Amazing. I know a lot of our followers are watching it. Yeah. When um, lovely Sophie is asking what they've been watching. I'm really excited to start it. I think it's going to be great. I think you're going to love it. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so what James, I... not for the first time. <laughs> wrong. <laughs> so what have I been watching this week? Oh, one of the things I did notice this week, and I'm sure you saw that Nick Mohammed took to Twitter. Yes. yes. Which I rather enjoyed to address yes. everyone's Nate queries. And when he really did, when people Good say him. that he took to Twitter, in, in you know that's a, it's a phrase used, isn't it? In like in the in the in the papers, they always go, "Oh, he took to Twitter." And you yeah. think, "No, he didn't he just tweeted?" But in this case, he really did take yeah. to Twitter. <laughs> he really did take to Twitter, and he he went through in detail exactly, you know, how uh, breaking down how the first shot of the season and the last shot of the season, which I'd completely missed, completely echo each other. Uh, that the hair thing was a deliberate sort of like yeah. reference yeah. to to a chap called Jose Marino. I don't know who that is. But I'm assuming someone in football, Jose Marina. But yeah, sure, that's uh, <laughs> brilliant. Whoever that is, but yeah, that was to do with him. And I just love the fact that, and he's and he made very, very valid points. That if you look back through season one, Nate's always been a bell end. And actually, thinking mm. about it, and I think because the show is such a warm hug, those subtle little aggressions from Nate, and given that he was the underdog, you overlook them because he was the underdog. Mm. And when he became the big dog, the fact that he was a little shitbag started to come to the fore. But as he says, you know, when he gets promoted, like he calls Rebecca a shrew before he even, yeah, we even know. And he's like, yeah. and when he's laying into the players, there's a real kind of schadenfreude there. So, yeah, no, I, I thought it was a great, it's a great post. If you haven't seen it, do look at uh, Nick Muhammad's Twitter feed, but he addresses all things Nate. Yeah. So while I am still of the opinion that I was not there for Salty Bitch and was 100% <laughs> there for Buttery Goodness, I now understand that the Salty Bitch was foreshadowed all along. Uh, so that is good um, what else have I watched this week uh, The Walking Dead the final season has reached the okay let me see if I can get this right has reached the midpoint yeah. finale of the first <laughs> of the of the first section of the first half of this two part season so <laughs> Christ so normally The Walking Dead obviously has one season split in two and it, like they have a break across Christmas they come back in the new year and so you have a, a like a mid-season finale but because this is an extra long season it's actually almost I guess split into four parts or th- anyway Suffice it to say, there's been a kind of finale. Some stuff happened. It was pretty good. That's all I've got to say. Good to know. Um, What else was I going to say? So uh, I did get around to, and Beth already knows this, uh, I did get around to watching one of the shows that was discussed. I have not yet seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but I was at a loose end on the weekend. And so due to that... I was like, oh, God, what can I watch? What can I watch? Oh, I've got, to, I've got to review Succession. I'm not watching those fucking bellends. So I, I, I put on Stars Hollow. I fired up Gilmore Girls, and I watched oh, yeah. the episode, season three, episode seven. They shoot Gilmore's, don't they? As Beth pointed out last time, uh, a reference to they shoot horses, don't they? Which is the dance marathon movie. Yeah. And this was a dance marathon episode. Yeah. And so my takeaway from this, like, it's it's really, really well written and they perform their dialogue extremely well. Like, it's very smart. It's, it kind of falls into that, yeah, I guess, kind of 
you could say West Wing, but I always think yes, Dawson's West Creek <laughs> in the way that people just don't, have not, do not, and will never speak like this, but it's fine. <laughs> uh, it's in Buffy as well, that kind of weed yeah. sort of thing. Do you know, like, it has its own language, yeah. which works very well for it. What kind of threw me was the speed of cutting between characters. So there is a bit where they're on the sofa and they're talking stuff, and every line is a new take. Like, it just cuts between them all. And it's like, whereas obviously if Sorkin was doing this, it'd be like a one down a corridor, it'd be like a walk yeah. and talk thing. Yeah. And I was I was really curious about the talk. Is it because it is, you know, sort of it, it, the way they shot it? Or is it because, frankly, it's really, really hard to do that sort of stuff and they kind of, they needed the cuts to speed up the dialogue? Yeah, I, I feel like it's that. Um, it is a lot of... I, I would be really interested because some people on Twitter as well mentioned the kind of Sorkin comparisons which I'm sure make you bristle they do but um, I would be really really interested to hear which has the more dialogue like what which would have the word like higher word count out of this oh, because God, both yeah. of them are just pure dialogue oh, all it's, the time yeah, it's and whereas it's staged in different different ways um I'm just I'm just gassed you watched it I'm so happy. it was no it was lovely and I think the relationship between you know, Rory and Lorelai is, yeah. is lovely, yeah. which is kind of the heart of it. I I remember now the things I don't like. I I violently dislike all the scenes with Lorelai's family, like with her mother and father. Like I just I find that really irritating, and I don't like the characters. You're not spicy. You're not spicy. No, but not like not in a, not not in any. I don't like because they're nasty people. I just I don't enjoy the dynamic of it. I don't think it's funny or entertaining. I just I found that stuff quite. I, artificial and a little bit annoying but when we got away from that I was fine like I enjoyed all the other characters uh, I enjoyed What's a Chops the one who who who, who threw Leo under the bus in the West Wing Paris that's oh her. my yeah. god Paris who yeah. someone said reminded yeah. of them which I fucking yeah. loved <laughs> and uh, very good uh, and uh, and you know obviously um, old Sean Gunn coming in there Weasel oh, Weasel on the dance floor he is just uh, he is such a wonderful I mean that's that's what I love are the, are the surrounding characters mm. are just so romantic Romantically, lovingly crafted in that show. And I was like, Adam Brody's in this? I did not know that. <laughs> like, that threw me. He was in one scene. Yeah. That was kind of crazy. Um, and I remembered some of the characters from the season one stuff that I'd seen. But, like, I don't understand the dynamic because, like, she's dating Jared Padalecki, who's obviously Sam from Supernatural. But in this, he's playing Dean, not Dean from Supernatural, but Dean from <laughs> Stars Hollow. It's very confusing. But but she's dating him. And then, and then fucking Peter Petrelli turns yeah. up. And I was just like, oh, what's going on here? Um, Milo Ventimiglia seemed to be playing a bellend. That seemed... I think that's fair. Yeah. Is that fair? Bellend with a beating, beating heart. A beating heart. Right. Okay. Yes. Um, um, yeah. Not so an empty bellend. Not, not an empty, empty bellend. Not a drained bellend. No. Yeah. A full. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I. Yeah. I, I, so it's one of these things where I enjoyed it a lot. I, I get why people like it. I think the dialogue is great, but it comes back to that thing that you talked about, where it's quite low stakes. So I was like, it's great. But there was nothing at the end of it that kind of dragged me to watch another one because it was relatively self-contained and there were no stakes that I really needed to find out about. Yeah. So I felt like it finished. I was like, okay. But I don't, I don't think it ever packages itself as anything but that. And mm. that in there is the appeal for the people who seek that out in a show. I mean, I don't necessarily seek that out, but I, I certainly relish it with this show. Yeah. And I relish, you know, I was one of the... 
fucking thousands of people that rewatched it during lockdown where you needed low stakes, where you needed a community of caring people that share up, like show up for each other and have a wake when someone's cat dies, which is literally <laughs> what happens. The most stressful thing that happens in like the first or second episode is Rory has to, she she misses a first date with Dean, not Sam or whoever, yeah. Pete or whatever his fucking name is, because their neighbor's cat dies and they have to have a wake for um, Cinnamon the cat. And that's the most stressful thing that happens in that episode. And Dean shows up and he's like, oh, I thought we had a date. And she's like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. You know, Cinnamon died and we're having a wake. And he's like, really? Because he's new to town. And that's it. That's it. You know? And that's all that happens. There's an occasional fallout. That's probably the most dramatic thing is there's there's a breakup in that episode. And then everyone is okay. That that And that mm. is it. And sometimes that's just what you crave from what you're watching. And like you say, salty bitch of a year. This is this is a buttery biscuit yeah. in like a snow globe. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> so I don't yeah. understand. Also, are like, are dance marathons a thing? Is this a thing? No. And Who's this doing is, this? So this is why I wanted you to watch this episode as well because Stars Hollow is 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 just a fabric of weird, kooky little cat wakes and dance marathons where they're they're literally doing it to raise money for like a bridge, I think. Yes. Oh, no, a top. A top for the bridge. There we go. Yeah. yeah. They need Do a top to I go mean? over the bridge, which has already been funded. Because yes. it's it's a fabric of just quirky, weird shit mm. that they do it, that's all part of the weird traditions of this very small, interconnected, loving, caring mm. town. Like, that's as bad as it gets. Top for a bridge. It had a northern exposure vibe, actually, to the makeup of the town. <laughs> I was like, this is very weird. Yeah. Um, and then the dude with the baseball cap who Luke. needs a makeover. Yes, <gasps> him. He's a sweetheart. I've read something wonderful about, uh, so you can do a Stars Hollow tour. You can go and visit, which I've, I've been waiting up, I won't lie. But sometimes <laughs> he just shows up. So sometimes he'll just be on the set. So you'll go around and do the tour and Luke wow. from Gilmore Girls will just be wow. there. That's brilliant. Um, there's another great... Uh, I, I could talk about this for fucking hours. But there's, <laughs> a, um, there's a great article about a, a girl who... Uh, she had cancer and she went and visited the set of Stars Hollow and she's in one of the episodes later on. She's a she's an extra. Um, and, and again, he just drove in that day to say hi and show around. He was just like, just really loved what he did and came in and just showed this 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 girl who had cancer and loved the show around and gave her like a, gave her a little tour. I was about to say, when you say he turns up, presumably he doesn't still turn up. It's been off the air for years. Like he's not still just hanging around the set with his baseball cap, just like randomly giving tours. No. Because no, that would be tragic. Say. That would be really possibly tragic. Possibly psychotic. Also, that set is used for everything. I saw it yeah. in WandaVision recently and I was like, well, yeah, and as we said, was in the West Wing as well. And was yeah. in the West Wing. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I love it. I also want to, someone, someone complained on Twitter because I someone complained on Twitter no. surely not <laughs> but they said um, it sounded like I was saying that Amy Sherman Palladino only wrote a few of them what I should have said she wrote that episode by herself so she wrote a bunch by herself a bunch with her husband who was her collaborative partner and then a bunch of other writing people as well but what I liked about this was this was explicitly her Yeah. Um, but she obviously created it this is her show this is her voice and I really love her as a showrunner as well I love Mrs. Maisel um, really looking forward to that that next season that comes out but yeah I love it but but, but I can't stress enough, you don't go in expecting high stakes. You don't go in expecting anything other than dialogue and low stakes and love and compassion. So I'm surprised you made it through that episode, to be honest. to James. <laughs> yeah. All things that yeah. I treasure. Yeah. Uh, no spaceships. <laughs> right, okay. No with stupid names. Characters. Stupid. I will mention that I did, uh, I did mention Bake Off. I wrote a thing. 
for the website Dune Splaining, and I uh, referenced oh, Bake Off yeah. because someone, of course, famously recites part of the Bene Gesserit Litany Against right. Fear on season seven of Bake Off during Biscuit Week. <laughs> so, Amazing. yeah, during oh a particularly God. fiddly gingerbread house construction, wow. they uh, they quote the Litany Against Fear. Worlds colliding. So that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Right, shall we move on to this week's listener question? Uh, and this week's listener question comes from someone called Alex Lavington. And Alex asks, Hi there, question for the pod. Netflix throw you all the money in the world to cast a spin-off from any show, present or past. Whose adventures are you going to follow? Mm, that was a good question. Um, and a tough one at the same time, because spin-offs are generally a bit shit, aren't they? Apart from, say, Bear Call Soul. I, like, I couldn't tell you an especially well, good spin Well, Frasier, Baywatch, Baywatch Nights had vampires in yeah. it. That's all I'm going to say. That's um, all I'm going to say. But generally, you're right. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, Joey from Friends. Let's, <laughs> wow. Let's, oh, bless him. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would like to see a spin-off of Joan from Mad Men post-Mad Men. Ah. Because she definitely ended... She would have definitely got the best ending of any of them on that ensemble, I think. But if you will remember, she left and went on to start her own industrial film production company. Spoiler. Is it? Oh, sorry. I never oh, finished no, Mad Men. Oh, In my defence, I'm never going to finish I mean, Mad Men. Yeah. Bellends. Yeah. Wall to wall Bellends. But she was, she was a, a, a ruby amongst the Bellends, we'll say. And and I love Christina Hendricks. I think she was my favourite character. That She gets put through some god-awful stuff in that show like everybody but ended mildly empowered as, as much as any woman could have been in that era and yeah was going on to start her own film industrial film company i would love to see that i would love to see a continuation of that character all the production values of that show honed in on that character in a new setting where she's the boss like i would love to see that uh, so i said that one and then I mean, again, dubious because I know spin-offs can be potentially pretty damn awful, but I would love to see a Ron Swanson Parks and Rec spin-off huh. with Nick Offerman and Lucy Lawless, uh, who was his wife at the end, as Diane, with their little kids running around just making harps and rocking chairs. And making drinking harps whiskey. and rocking chairs? Because <laughs> that's what he does. And just like dodging his ex-wives who just show up and, and terrorise them. I think that would be really fun. So those are my two. I kind of feel that if I was going to see a Christina Hendricks spin-off show, I'd want to see one from uh, the character that she plays in Firefly, Saffron. Oh, ridiculous. Would yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, clearly that's what Christina Hendricks is going to be remembered for. Not, yeah. She's absolutely going to be remembered for 100% Mad famous Man. for marrying Malcolm Reynolds <laughs> in Firefly. That is definitely okay. the best thing she's ever done. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, I haven't mentioned the OA for a while, so I thought I'd mention the OA. No, not since last week. Yeah, I mean, I've got there's news about about it as well. So <laughs> anyway, I would genuinely love to see a spinoff if if uh, Britt Marling and Zalbert Manning ever get around to doing any more OA related things, um, because there's the, what you, uh, first of all there is uh, Kingsley Ben Adir's character of Kareem the detective who's in, brought into season two. I forgot he was in that. I right. love him. This yeah. is great. I mean, but Kingsley Ben Adir now absolute you know phenomenon mm. but this was his big big one of his biggest breaks i yeah. think so to say because he's the lead he's effectively the lead in season two brand new character and it was very very rare if totally unheard of to have a person of color as a main detective lead in an hour-long drama um and he was fantastic i loved him in it mm. um i just loved his kind of the tone of him he had a kind of like a laid-back vibe for a detective he was like you know but um but fantastic just kind of embodied that role so i feel there's a whole you know detective kareem washington series that could be made um featuring 
him. I also really remember Riz Ahmed's character in the OA. Riz Ahmed. The cast of that show. The cast man. of that show, right? He was he was Fucking creepy hell. FBI man, wasn't he? Was he was creepy mm. and yet seemingly nice FBI man, but helpful n- FBI things. man, but also weird, freaky, completely mm. unresolved FBI yes. man. No, but he was also creepy FBI man in my bedroom. Why yeah. are you here? Of course, <laughs> yeah, he would, he would magically arrive in people's bedrooms. But again, it's just a fascinating, mysterious character that presumably in the in the pr- planned three, four, third, fourth and fifth season mm. would have explained more yeah. about him and his role. But I want to see the spin-off with him. Yeah. And I'd be delighted to see a spin-off with Paddy Gibson as Steve, who I thought was the kind of emotional core and heart of the whole thing. So I want to see three spin-offs from the OA, basically. (laughs) Yeah, I do. Um, My other one is CJ CJ from the West Wing. <gasps> yes. 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 What I want to see what her life is like now. Yes. What is she? I feel like she could be a pundit on an American, like on CNN kind of thing, yeah. and writing books about the presidency. I just want to see more of CJ. Yeah, you could do. Definitely. She's just the greatest character, as I've said many times in the history of television, and totally deserved her own spin-off. If anyone from the from from the West Wing was going to could have got a spin-off, I think it is CJ. You wouldn't want to see Toby Ziegler these pres- no. these cell block H years. No. Just him in stir like it'd be like Oz but with Toby I mean that is a good that's quite a good idea I'd watch that yeah that's quite a good concept he just like, like people come up yeah. with shanks and then he just like condescends them into submission yeah <laughs> that is true that could happen um, I've got so many by the way I'll, okay, I'll just do, I'll, I'll do some, no, no, two more keep going no, I'll just do two more um, one is uh, in Afterlife Ricky Gervais says about Afterlife yep. that he na- he created this incredible ensemble of like I don't know 10-15 characters that he cuts between in each series And um, but my favourites for a potential spin-off would be The Shrink the psychiatrist played by Paul Kay with his buddies <laughs> um, Ratty and the Nonce that's a good oh show who God, are yeah. just <laughs> the funniest most Ratty and the Nonce are massively objectionable at proper Bellens, yeah. gigantic, yeah. enormous Bellens. The kind when you're in a pub and you see loud white guys basically in suits talking shit. Yeah. That it just captured that essence of those people. But I think, but um, I think um Paul Kate's character was so funny and his scenes um with the people he was he was <laughs> treating, you know, were <laughs> hilarious, among the most hilarious scenes. So I'd see that. And finally, sexy priest from Fleabag. Huh. What, did, what's yeah. happened to his life? What's yeah. he doing? How's he coping? Has he left the priesthood? <laughs> you know, I mean, I want to see Andrew Scott. I mean, I just want to see anything and Andrew Scott do anything, yeah, frankly. Actually. But I definitely think there's there's a sexy priest spin-off that if um if Bridge was interested, yeah. she could do. Um because I think Fleabag's story was brilliantly ended. But I think, but you know, where did where did Sexy Priest what's he doing? There you go. See, if I were going to do a West Wing spin-off, I would like to see what Ainsley Hayes did mm. when she left, when she when she got forgotten about in the White House Counsel's office. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to know what she did next. Because yeah, uh, I think because that as Sorkin has discussed to me, in fact, uh, that that was his biggest regret was was not signing her as a regular member of cast and then letting CSI Miami scoop her up and take her away. Mm. Just what a sort of name job you just. It was just yeah. When, yeah. When when I was talking to when I was talking to Aaron, you know, yeah. recently. <laughs> By recently, I mean about 10 years ago. But it's all good. It's all good. Uh, but what would mine be? Well, it's so interesting. I disappeared down a bit of a rabbit hole of shows that almost were. So do you remember oh. Ripper was very nearly a spin-off of Buffy? There was going to be a Ripper Giles show oh, all about gosh. with Angie Stewart Head, presumably playing his uh his Rupert character from uh from from Ted Lasso instead of his Rupert <laughs> character from Buffy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, that was all about him. But if I asked Tony Head about that, again, must have been about 15, 16, 17 years ago. Um, <laughs> Um, and you know it was going to happen, and then that never happened. So that was a shame. And do you remember? You obviously Joey. We talked about Joey, the spin-off from yeah. Friends. But do you remember 
Girlfriends. Do you remember Girlfriends? No. So this was going to be the Lisa Kudrow, Phoebe spinoff. Really? Of Friends, yeah. And it was, do you remember Charlie? Yeah. Ross's girlfriend, yeah. Charlie. So it was going to be Phoebe. black woman. Indeed. In Aisha, Tyler. And she and, and Lisa Kudrow were going to be together in Girlfriends. And As that Phoebe was be, and Charlie. Yeah, yeah. That was going to be a spin-off nah. show. And it, it, it never happened. No. Nah. Never got off the ground. And instead we got Joey instead. So that's great. That was a, that was a good trade there. <laughs> well, didn't I hear that Rose Tyler was getting her spin-off at one point? Yeah, there was. Like, there was Earth I Defense, was I think it was called. Yeah, yeah. So she was going to get her own show. I don't know. I mean, that yeah. could still happen. It could I mean, still happen. Maybe RTD, it will. Well, Russell, Russell's going to be back at the helm, and he's absolutely vocally talked about how, uh, not just in his mind, but vocally, talked about how um, he'd love, it would be brilliant to have a whole world of like M- MCU-style Doctor Who universe, where, yeah. you know, there are spin-offs and there are, you know, yeah, I think that would be a brilliant one, yeah. More to Beth's point, though, more in more in Beth's wheelhouse, I would say, is Windward Circle. Pardon? Yes, Windward Circle, which was very nearly Jess's spin-off series from oh Gilmore Girls. Oh my God, of course. Of That's course. right, Milo Ventimiglia, Peter Petrelli himself, nearly got his own show. That yeah, came very close it to happening. Had a, it had a standalone episode, which held promise, mm. and had um, Audrey from Twin Peaks in it, which is just a, an absolute winner for me. Um, so much so, and then it didn't happen, and they brought her yes. back in later on. I, for, I love her so much, I've forgotten the actor. Because that episode was a backdoor pilot for the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that just didn't happen. Which never happened. It was going to him him relocating to California. Yeah. So, no, Amy Sherman and Paladino just, just really didn't mm. have very much luck until, bef- like, obviously exited Gilmore Girls, did some pretty, pretty mediocre stuff, and then Maisel came around and, and saved her. I remember they were going to do a Veronica Mars one. Yeah. Veronica Mars spin-off where she joins the FBI. I'm kind of glad that didn't happen. Yeah. But uh, that wouldn't have been quite the same. Yeah. But yeah, th- these things could have happened. All of these things. What could have been? What could have been? But uh, I'm rapidly falling asleep. So let's uh, <laughs> let's move You're on. You're tangling off there. Like, someone <laughs> slap him. <laughs> yeah. Somebody, somebody wake me up again. Uh, so let's move on for the list of questions. I think we've pretty much covered that. Um, <sighs> if you wish to have your question answered, then do please send it to us via DM on Twitter at Pilot TV Pods, uh, and we will pick it up there. Or Sophie will send it to me, or something like that will happen, uh, which is excellent. <laughs> Right, time now, I think, for this week's guest. And yes, I introduced him in the introduction as Asshole Guy. That wasn't just me being a twat. That is, of course, the character that he played famously in Fleabag. Uh, He's also famous for playing Thomas Wayne in Pennyworth. Uh, But he's here to talk to us this week about his new role as D.I. Matthew Venn in ITV's The Long Call. It is, of course, Ben Aldridge and Boyd. I was going to say sat down with him. Boyd got on a, a, a an incredibly poor quality Zoom call with him <laughs> earlier this week, which at some point I'm going to have to try and clean up so it sounds terrible. Blame Boyd. Um, <laughs> Was it fun, Boyd? It was. He was lovely, um, uh, but he he definitely had a weak Wi-Fi and um, ended up talking on his mobile. And I don't know how it's going to sound. Excellent. But he is an absolutely Excellent. lovely man. So nothing but high fidelity sound for the <laughs> yeah. Pilot TV podcast. Okay, well this is Boyd and Ben Aldridge. Um, welcome, Ben Aldridge, to the Pilot TV podcast. Now, the Long Call, um, which is this new four-part ITV adaptation of Anne Cleves' book. It's going out. First, it's going out on consecutive nights in one week, Monday to Thursday, which yeah. is which is interesting, isn't it? It's quite because you could either it could go either, it could be put out as a box set all in one go. It could be weekly serial. This is kind of like in the middle. How do you feel about that way of putting it out? Yeah, but apparently it's a, a new way of doing things, and I think it makes it so I'm told an event piece, which sounds sexy and exciting to me. <laughs> and I guess 
I guess it, I guess it's kind of in line with how we consume things at the moment. That mostly on all, all the all the vods or the platforms that we are we're choosing when we watch stuff anyway. I think for for the most part, and I don't know. I think there's something very romantic about the the idea of which I actually really like of like weekly tuning in like i love to tune in for bake off and drag drag race <laughs> um, um but i also think there's something good about it being consecutive nights and it and it and it's sitting together sitting together in a, in a nice consecutive way like a a, a long a, a long form film kind of thing so so yeah i think it's quite exciting it does say event it does say event what do you what do you think <laughs> I, as, a, as, a, as a pompously call myself a TV critic, I always get more yes. excited. It, it does feel like when you're told something's going to be on consecutive nights in one week, you think, oh, actually, that does sound exciting. And it feels yeah. like it's going to be big. Yeah. And I, I suppose what it keeps about it is, is like an immediate an immediacy in the story so that, you're, so that you're not forgetting stuff. I mean, there's 24 hours, but... Um, but that if you are kind of wanting to know what happens next, which I, which I definitely think with this that you will, that you'll be able to find out pretty quickly. So yeah, I, think, I do think there's something nice about that. Um, now you narrated the audiobook, didn't you? Before yes. you got the role. Now was that a key yeah. part, element in you getting the role on TV? Or was it just kind of almost coincidental? I think it was totally coincidental, yeah. They didn't actually, I, I believe... Um, Sam Jones, who cast this, and, and Lee Haven Jones, who are the first people I met uh, over Zoom for it, they didn't know until I was on Zoom with them that I, that I did the narration of it. Now, I was, it's, it's a funny old story because after I did the, the narration of the audiobook, I did an interview. This is a bit of a roundabout story, but I did an interview for Devon Life magazine because I'm from Devon, and they were just doing they were just doing a bit of a piece on me. And she, the journalist, I forget her name now, um, had been at the book launch at the long call talking to Anne and Anne had said that she, she was very pleased with the job that I'd done on it and that it had been commissioned as a TV script. And the journalist said to me in that interview, she said, oh, it's been commissioned as a TV script. Did you know that? I said, oh, no, no, I didn't. And she said, oh, and Anne mooted that you, she thought you'd be a great choice to play it for TV as well. And I was like, Oh, 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 well, that's, that's lovely. But that's the first I'd ever heard of it. And then I heard nothing until apparently I wasn't available when they were first scheduled to shoot. And then it came back round, and then, yeah, and then suddenly I was in the mix. So it, I, I, it's, it's, it is it's definitely um, a coincidence. <laughs> um, what do you make of Matthew Venn? We should say Matthew Venn is, is you're, the, you're the lead, you're investigating um, disturbing crimes. But, and uh, I think this is, you have to, we have to mention this, I think it's very pertinent. You, you know, your character is one of the, I think it's the first LGBT primetime mainstream TV detective there has ever been in this country. Um, so is that a key element in getting you on board? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think um, it's, definitely, it's definitely what drew me drew me to it and drew me to the character for sure. Um, I, I, th- I think, I think, I think it's the first male, um, the, the right. first queer ma- male detective. I think we've, I think, there, I think there have been like female detectives who it's more ambiguous or say just, just had vigil. Um, but yeah, apparently everyone keeps, it keeps saying this is the first. And yeah, I, I think it did that. That definitely is what drew me to the project. And specifically that, um, I think there's a possible trend right now. It's not even a trend, but I think it's um, a necessary kind of uh, steps forward in progression in in TV and film to um, with representation and um, 
what I really like about this project is that they haven't just ticked the box of making the character um, gay or queer and then not dealt with any of how the, his queerness or gayness might affect his life. Um, even though the piece isn't completely, completely about his own uh, journey regarding sexuality it's definitely a, a key part of that and, and that's really important to me i think I, I i i'm i'm drawn to playing all sorts of characters for sure i've only just started to play characters that have the same sexuality as me and um it, it feels important to me that we that it's not just a it's not just a, a factor that's not dealt with that it's that it's kind of like well, if you're going to tell a story about a gay person then it has to include the parts of their life that are affected by being gay. Um, and I think this really, I think this really does that. And I also hope and think that it will kind of bring to an audience that may not necessarily um, know gay people or know much about gay people. Um, and he's kind of very, he's very heteronormative, homonormative in his uh, presentation. Um, I, I feel like they'll, they'll maybe learn something there. You know, um, but yeah, it was it was a, it was a really key element for me as to, I mean, I, yeah, it's it's a funny one. I don't know if I've ever had huge ambitions to play a, detect, a detective. I, I love true crime. I became, weirdly, coincidentally, another coincidence. At the beginning of this year, before I knew I was doing this, I watched about twenty true crime documentaries. I know I'm not alone in that. I know it's like yeah, I know it's a yeah. past time I've met many people at the moment, but I've always been interested in that. I don't know that it was on my list of. Um, actor ambitions to be like yes detective um, and I really enjoyed doing it but having having that personal element to me I, a personal element to the character I think was essential to my um, attraction to it for sure well that was a very yeah. very long-winded answer for you there <laughs> but it is interesting how in this particular story your character's sexuality is key and like particularly mm. as it as it evolves and your relate we should say it's a key part of the setting of the milieu, yeah. if you like, if I can use that word, that pretentious word, mm -hmm. is Love the religious it. community. And the yeah. fact that your mother, played by the legendary Judith Stevenson, is part of this community and she cannot come to terms with your with Matthew's sexuality. So it's like, it does feel like the mystery and the setting are intrinsically interwoven with the, the, the sexuality element of the show. Yeah, they absolutely are. I think, he, I think he, there, are, there are two mysteries at play and, and one of them is the murder. The, the classic, the classic whodunit, and and in, in his quest to find out those answers, he's led further into a community that he has been rejected by, and also doesn't really want to spend time in, um, and therefore there's there becomes he's presented by the mystery of oh this is along with your pretentious word I'm going to add to this, but um, not with a word, just he's he's presented by the kind of like the mystery of self I suppose, and and it becomes a kind of quite a deep personal mystery I think because it's things that he has chosen to completely shelve and not deal with and he's and but he's forced in situations where he has to he has to confront his mother he has to try and have some form of relationship with her he is confronted by um rejection uh, uh from a group of people rejected for who who he is um and also i think confronted not just by rejection but by being part of um a a hardline religion and to have walked in those shoes for the first 18 of years of your life then to be exiled from it for 20 years then to come back to it i know from my own experience with religion when you're inside of those things you, you and you have no perception of life outside of them you don't know how specific they are you don't know how I don't want to use, oh, well, I'm, I'm using the word strange, but I want to use a better word than that, but I don't, I don't have it, but I think specific is the word. And mm. I think he's also confronted by stepping back into it and going, what is this? Like, what is this interaction with the world? I was part of this and I was accepting of it. And I've definitely had those experiences 
myself um, growing up as an evangelical Christian um, where I go, wow, this is, when I was younger, this did not seem like a specific or odd or, um, yeah, it didn't seem strange. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been natural. Yeah. It's, it, it, I think most people, when they're brought up as part of religion, it's, you don't know anything else, do you, in a way? No, no. Yeah. And so I think he's thrown into, he's thrown into this environment where like he, there are all these triggers. There's the triggers for his past life. There's the triggers for people that are rejecting him. There's the, there's the, there's the point of difference with people that he's communicating with, that he knows that they absolutely reject homosexuality and not just homosexuality they reject a secular way of life um and so it's kind of like uh, i suppose there's a bit of a haunting to him and he definitely navigates the world in in that way i think returning to devon there is a sense of kind of him being haunted by by both the religion and by his by his sexuality oh it sounds it sounds intense doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> but it is yeah, it does sound intense but there is an intensity <laughs> to those things like the scene in the scene in episode 2 where you confront your mum, played by Juliet Stevenson, which is which is a very powerful thing. You don't, I don't, I think it's something you don't see that often on TV. Yeah, yeah, and they, I think they, without without, I don't think this is a spoiler, but without without getting into it too much, they they get to a point. Basically, they can't, they can't communicate with each other. There's such a point of difference between them that they they're not able, and they're not, both not able to kind of really go there because of the amount of pain it causes both of them. Her, I think she, um, Dorothy, really feels that she had to make a choice between God's will and Matthew and the life that he wanted. And she chose God, obviously. um, But I don't think that is an easy thing for her to do. So I think there's a huge amount of pain on her end of it that he isn't really aware of so much, or maybe he is, but it's it's non-communicated. And then the further we get into the series, the more they start to have these snatched conversations. And by the end, uh, I don't think this is a spoiler, but they, they have a conversation where they actually reveal themselves. They actually tell each other how they feel and they kind of can't do it before then and it really for me um builds towards that moment and i think it's like i hope for the the audience it certainly is for the characters that it's um there's real payoff there you know it's Mm. not a reconciliation but they start to move towards something like that right you talking about your your religious upbringing and where you brought brought up it it feels like this is uncannily made made for you this role it it feels like a bit weird yeah yeah it, it, it is there are so many um yeah there are so many experiential crossovers i think between him and i um, and I, I thought that when I read it and I, and I was chatting to my parents about it when I read it, they, they were both raised in the Brethren, which is different to the bar and Brethren we, we have in the story, which is fictionalized, but, um, they were both raised in their own churches. Both my grandfathers were, um, elders in their respective churches and my parents became evangelical Christians at kind of around the time they met, which is the way I, I was raised as an evangelical Christian. But when I was narrating the audiobook, I was even talking to them, and it's set in places in Devon that we know and visit and go to so well. And my mum was like, oh, I reckon Anne Cleves, is, I reckon she might actually be talking about um, a, a, a pastor or an elder that I think my friend knows. You know, she, she was seeing all these connections. So it's yeah. kind of fascinating. And then, yeah, and then when I spoke to Lee and Sam again on that first Zoom, they had no idea of that. They had no idea of my religious background at all so I think that I can remember just seeing it register for them and going oh, uh, okay uh, and then it was um that all those things were like you know they were real they were real gifts to be able to take into speaking to Kelly Jones the writer and Lee and I, I spent hours chatting with my parents just reminiscing about um their their experiences within those churches but then also it led to conversations between us that we've never had about religion and about my sexuality and all of that all of those things so um yeah it was definitely it was definitely a very personal and that's the 
think the, the word to use. It was definitely a very personal job for me in the end. I, I didn't, I don't think, I don't think I knew how personal it would become actually, but the, the further I got into it, the more I realized I kind of shared so much with him. Very, very close to me, very, very different energies. Like I don't think he's anything like I am um, kind of personality wise, but uh, certainly the things that I think he's thinking about and feeling, I, I've definitely the kind of recent or, or, or current um history living history for me kind of thing yeah yeah because he's he feels like a quite a serious kind of meticulous yes. kind of figure <laughs> yeah not that you're not serious or meticulous by the way but he no 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 <laughs> no i wouldn't like to think of myself really of those things um but he he is yeah he's extremely serious and also he's just very self-contained and i think he's very self-monitoring i think he's had to be like that he he probably spends a lot of his energy or has spent a lot of his energy about being straight passing and moving move, moving through the police force, um, not being judged or even being, uh, I don't think he wants his sexuality to be picked up on. I think that's something that he wouldn't necessarily share with someone when he first met them or, um, but yeah, and I think that also comes as a hangover from, from the religion. They live very frugally and very, very carefully. And I think, I think I think there's an element of him that um, oh God, this sounds so deep, probably too deep for the interview. But I think there's an element of him that really feels uh, haunted by his fall from grace, which is his sexuality. He has, he is, he has. I think there's a religious hangover where he has, he's, you know, he's part of the ultimate sin. And no matter how much I think he tries to get over over that, I think he carries that with him. And then to compensate for that kind of sinful life that he subconsciously consciously lives as a gay man i think he's very careful to be good and straight and narrow and uh, careful um, and contained and precise and really in control i don't think anything spills out over and like throughout the four episodes you start to see him kind of lose control of those things and you start to see um his inner world get the the better of him i think as it progresses how does it feel I mean, you know, we, we've seen you in Pennyworth and um, Fleabag, etc. You know, we, 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 this is a big, this feels like a big swap, isn't it? In terms of big prime time, ITV, nine o'clock. Yes, yeah, terrifying. Right, is it terrifying? <laughs> That's my question. Is it scary? <laughs> um, I think so. I've, I've always wanted to um, lead a show. I, this show is really, really ensemble, just because I think it's quite a unique experience to do that. And I've always kind of, uh, I've, I've loved all of the work I've done, but I've never, I don't think I've ever felt like I've been out and out leading something. And um, uh, I think, I think the way in which that changes that suddenly it's kind of all on you, including, including the, the pressure of it and the potential uh, success or failure of it. I try not to pay too much attention to that, but yeah, there is, there is an element of me that I just, I, I, I loved it. I loved, I really enjoyed the experience. I loved working with Lee, our director. He's wonderful. We had such a, a lovely team of people, Kate Bartlett, um, exec from Silverprint and ITV, just everyone was wonderful. So it's such a great experience, but yeah, there is a, there's a, I think there's a, marked difference in pressure i suppose mm. um but also it's but also excitement pressure and excitement you know I, I i'd love for this to resonate with people who are really i really want it to um work but they're always everything you do is an experiment like you just you, you connect to the writing or to an element of the writing or an element of the character or the characters and um you know you just you, you hope for the the best it's really all so collaborative like as an actor so much of it is out of your hands um and yeah they're all experiments you just you just hope they turn out as something that you would want to watch i think so that's that's what i hope for <laughs> i have to ask you are the first 
seeds of Fleabag. Fleabag's at yes. the door, and you arrive. Yes. Yeah. And you are known, and this is, you know, Phoebe Waller Bridges' fault. Don't, I'm quoting. You are known as Arsehole Guy in that show, yes. right? Yes. Now, yeah. <laughs> how did it feel to be known as that and to be part of one of the most incredible historic shows of all time? <laughs> um, well, I guess I have better thank for my favourite uh, IMDb credit, <laughs> um, <laughs> Arsehole Guy. Um, and yeah i just i love i love that i'm a small part of it it's absolutely like i was saying like i think what you always want as an actor is to be put to be part of something that you would watch yourself I, I, I don't know how often that happens i think it depends where you are in your career whether you get to pick and choose and your projects or whatever i i don't yet but um yeah you just want to be in something you'd watch and be like that's brilliant i'm i'm very proud to be in that and i thought that for the moment um for the moment i read the pilot and then i i just got a, a random call from uh, my agent when i was doing our girl saying oh it's been commissioned and she's written more for the character and then i was sent these five other episodes and i i, I was i didn't know that he was going to be in it more at all and i loved what i loved the scenes i was like you know playing someone playing captain james at times someone very noble someone very straight laced and i've really wanted to do comedy for a long time so i was just like yes this is going to be brilliant so i was very excited and then and then obviously it became what it i knew it was going to be good because she's just so incredible and the whole team were incredible but then it kind of took off and then it even took off even more into series series two which i was so gutted not to be in more <laughs> yeah uh, but but yeah, like yeah, to answer your question, absolutely thrilled. Even to be the small part in it that I am, I just um, yeah, so happy. And and uh, you know, I don't. Everyone knows this, but it's all it's all credit to Phoebe. It's it's hers. Like you know, and um, the, what what I did was under her direction and guidance and, and her writing as well. So really really pleased to be in it. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you, boy. Thanks for a wonderful interview. Nice to speak to you again. That was Ben Aldridge, and let's now jump straight in to this week's news. Guys, what has been happening in the world of television? Well, I mentioned the OA and, um, <laughs> and here's a chance to mention it again. I barely drew breath before yeah, you jumped in Because um, <laughs> Brit Marley and Zalbert Manage have found their lead for their next project. So the, the, this project had been announced um, already. It's an FX series that they are writing together and directing the whole thing. Um, and it's a crime. It's, it's, it's kind of a crime show. But Emma Corin is going to play the lead of Princess Diana in season four of The Crown Fame. Yeah. Who, if you remember, well, if listeners remember our review, we were all absolutely, what's the word? I thought we just found a fascinating, it was just a really intriguing performance. Mm. Um, and I think, and I've and I've seen interviews with Emma Corrin and um, even just her online presence is fascinating. She's a really interesting actor and um, she's going to play Darby Sleuth is the name of the character, described as an ambitious sleuth who attempts to solve a murder at a secluded retreat. It's called Retreat, the show. Um, I mean, I could not be more on board mm. for the whole thing, That's obviously. Mm, obviously. Yeah. There you go. So, I mean, all other news is fine, but that that's is it. News. And that was news. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, it's a big boy week because we got um, Curb Season 11 trailer, didn't we? Yes. Hopefully. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> the standout of that for me was John Hamm, who I maintain has had a better comedy cameo career since Mad Men than a film career. Oh, God, um, easily. Yeah. Yeah. He, like, I love it when he. I call them hamios. When we get a hamio in um, my favorite is Thirty Rock, where he plays yes. a character who's so good looking that he um, I can't remember what happens, but somehow 
as a result of being so good looking, he loses both hands and has two hooks for hands. Yeah. Um, it's it's yeah. one of the most genius characters. It's such a testament to Tina Fey's writing that she writes a character that is so good looking that he hasn't got a proper grasp on how the world works. Um, and it's amazing. And he does it so well. And I just, I live for the times when John Hamm pops up in anything. Not when he's in a film. I won't go and watch the films. When he pops up in like Toast or something, I'm so happy. So you'd be a prime candidate for Sergio. <laughs> Do you remember Sergio? It was, it was Saturday Night Live, wasn't it? I think where so. It was, like, it was like a riff on the Drag Me to Hell thing where someone is cursed by Sergio, which means whenever they're alone, he crashes through the wall playing a saxophone, looking a lot like the dude from The Lost Boys, the I Still Believe Man. Um, it's quite special. Yeah. Google Sergio. All right. Well, Hammy is. Well, John Hamm's character in the in the in the previous series yeah. of of Curb season ten was my favourite thing in the whole yeah. thing, and the idea that he he was playing an act, he was playing himself, he was going to do, get a role as a as a really annoying bellend, yeah. and he took Larry out to, to study him being the ultimate <laughs> bellend. And from the clips from the trailer of the next season, it looks fantastic how that that he's going to carry on with that storyline yeah. to some extent. But the general list of guest stars is phenomenal of the new season of Curb because you've got you've got Woody Harrelson, Tracy Ullman, um, Kaylee Cuoco, Patton Oswalt. But most exciting of all for me is Albert Brooks, the legendary yes. writer-director star of some of the greatest comedies in, in film history, James. Um, uh, Modern Romance, Lost in America, etc. And he is going to, and he of course is the brother of Bob Einstein, who died sadly died um, fairly recently. Oh, it was a while ago. Of course, he's one of the greatest characters in Curb in the whole history of Curb, Marty Funkhauser. Um, and so Albert Brooks is going to, and, and presumably it's going to be some kind of. There must be some kind. I, I'm this is all assumption on my part. I haven't done all, all the people have said is that Albert Brooks is going to be in it. But for Albert Brooks, be, my one Albert Brooks is probably my favourite kind of comedy film director of all time yeah. especially now because we can't talk about Woody Allen um, and to see him in my favorite one of my favorite shows of all time it's li- I could not it's it's, yeah. it's, it's it's just the whole idea of it is extraordinary so you're pleased I'm sensing you're pleased <laughs> I am quite pleased right okay good yeah good yeah good I mean look I'm gonna have to do this and I apologize in advance but I turned on news this morning and I saw there is a live action system shock TV series in the world and I, I, mean, I don't know what that means properly excited about this and then of course I read up on it and it's less exciting than I thought but system shock more specifically system shock 2 has held up as one of the greatest video games ever made this dates back to the 1990s but it's a rogue ai called showdown <laughs> who takes over citadel station in the first one then takes over a ship called the von braun anyway uh, but there's a whole switcheroo in there and the voice acting of the the woman who did showdown is incredible it's brilliant it's uh it was the inspiration behind the bioshock games which became very very popular some years later but i digress needless to say from my point of view this is one of the greatest games ever made i'm so excited about it and thought of them making like a, a tv series of it blows my mind unfortunately unfortunately the tv show is coming to binge and binge is an upcoming kind of it's they call it a gaming entertainment streaming platform and it's basically i think going to be focusing on programming inspired by popular video game franchises so it's Let's be honest, probably not onto a massive winning streak. All film adaptations of video games are absolutely exemplary. Well, quite. Top tier. Look at all the Oscars they've won. Yes. So it doesn't necessarily bode well. However, I'm quite psyched that there is going to be a System Shock TV series, even if it may not be good. It's just nice to see you've woken up, James, to be honest. Yeah, it took that. That's what it took for me to become awake. Um, Yes. Well, I mean, speaking of spin-offs, are we going to talk about Tales of the Walking Dead? Another one. Yeah. 
God, and the, and, I, and I speak with love as someone who is still as as the only person alive who is still watching The Walking Dead. <laughs> Nobody needs to see Tales of the Walking. Nobody needs this ever. No, it's a it's it's an anthology series yeah. where it's gonna be individual standalone sort of tales. Like, Which we got from We've that had world. It. It's done. But we have, and I kind of feel like maybe this was inspired by those sort of extra bonus episodes we got in season ten, which were kind of one of them. But they were they were based around established characters. Yeah. So yeah. you know, it wasn't quite the same thing. And I get it that you can tell interesting human drama set against this this sort of post apocalyptic backdrop. But fuck me, we've had so <laughs> much of this stuff. Like, do we really need this? Give me the Rick Grimes films. Give me the What Happened to Rick stuff. Like, yeah. I want to see that with Andrew Lincoln. I don't want to see this. And it's not just because I hate anthologies, although I do hate anthologies. <laughs> I'm saying even if I didn't hate anthologies, I would still think this is a bad idea. But there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even want to see Rick Grimes films. I want to see Rick Grimes film singular. I don't. Uh, yeah. No, this feels tedious. And like they've got a lot of money and resources uh, and not a lot of creativity at this stage. Yeah. If I'm being honest. Um, Maybe it's one in and one out because Walking Dead World Beyond is now ending. Yeah. This is going to fill the Walking Dead gap. Who knows? I don't know. I, I, I think it's unnecessary. More importantly, who cares? It's yeah. definitely unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but if we're going to talk about sort of zombie infested apocalypses, I will say a set photo from The Last of Us came up showing Pedro Pascal in costume as Joel. And oh my God, he looks like Joel because he's wearing the same jacket and the same clothes. <laughs> it was amazing. I was really excited. <gasps> yes. I found out uh, Murray Bartlett's in it, which has made me very invested there we go. suddenly. There we go. There we go. Yes, White Lotus and Looking Star Murray Bartlett is going to be in it. So that's enough for me. I mean, if you'll watch anything with Murray Bartlett, well, maybe we'll get you onto Farscape yet. All right. I mean, you got me onto some of Star Trek, so we'll see. That's we'll see true. How it goes. That is true. I've got an open mind, and like some people. So. <laughs> hey, I watched Gilmore Girls. <laughs> Gilmore Girls, I take it back. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, look, I've waited this long, but I can't wait any longer. Can I please, please talk about The Expanse? God, I mean, shameless. Tech, go for it. Unbelievably excited <laughs> when the teaser for the sixth and final season of The Expanse, which also now has a date, the 10th of December. Put in your diaries, guys, because you're going to be fucking watching it. Um, only six episodes what in the season. It's a really short one. Okay. I'm already quite anxious about that. Um, and it's going to be the end of it. And I just, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be bereft. <laughs> it's, it's just magnificent. And oh, oh the, the, the teaser and all the stuff. And yeah, great. Great stuff. Well, that, I mean, that was pleasantly that was coherent. Right, actually. I immediately, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yes, I was, I was very excited to see the expanse coming back. Oh, that was pretty were. harmless, actually. Yeah, unfortunately, that's how knackered he is. Yeah. You got me at a point where I don't yeah. even have the energy yeah. to explain <laughs> to you at length. I'm just too, t- oh, too tired. That is so brilliant. <laughs> I'm just too tired. Finally, finally, in news, uh, it's been confirmed that Doctor Who's back on um, Halloween night evening. And a title, a title, wasn't there? Yes, Flux. Doctor Who, colon, Flux. Not to be confused with Dr. Flocks from Star Trek Enterprise. <laughs> oh my God. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, and it's six, par- it's six parts as well. This is, so it's basically, we've got this six part, one storyline serial. Mm. So it's one storyline across six episodes, which is the first time Doctor Who's done that, done that since the 80s, since the mid 80s, Trial of the Time Lord. And then there'll be three specials. First special is <laughs> New Year's Day, I believe. I'm not sure that's officially announced, but I think, it, I think everyone's assuming it will because they always do them on New Year's Day now. Yeah. And then two more later next year, which will be the final farewell to Jodie Whittaker. God, they're really giving her a send-off, aren't they? Yeah, I, I think that's good, yeah. Before uh, Russell Tovey becomes... Uh, Russell Tovey slash... Um, putting money down. Are you? Interesting. Yeah. Thingy is the firm favourite from um, from um, years and years. It's Ollie. the same. Ollie. Ollie Alexander. Thingy is, I'd call him. Ollie Alexander is... It's two to one on. One to two on. been in Doctor Who already. 
Ollie Alexander? Yeah. No, he was in a version of Doctor Who in um, It's a Series. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so yeah. He, and yeah. I think that's partly okay. where the yeah. kind of fan... Yeah, they um, did a... There was there was a storyline where yeah, as, as an actor, he was cast in Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. and they okay. recreated. Yeah, because okay. it's Russell, isn't it? Russell Toby's been in it before, hasn't he? Yes, he has. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we've established that yeah. um, people who've been in it can be the Doctor. Can That's, still be. The, the yeah, doctor. there's precedent yeah. for it. Yeah, it's fine. It's okay. fine. Peter Capaldi was there. He's, he was the Doctor. Yeah, we, we've talked about that. The only <laughs> other news that springs to mind is that uh, Stephen Knight was talking to people at uh, the London Film Festival. No, before you say it. He wasn't saying that they've extended the <laughs> mythology of C for another 15 seasons, although I do hope that that news will follow soon. No, rather that, he was talking about the fact that the Pika... Pika! Pika Blinders! Pika Blinders! That was horrible! Yeah. Was that your Pikachu? <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, his head's on the table. (laughs) I just don't know if I can finish this podcast. I'd Um, like to see Pika Blinders. Not Pika Blinders. We all would. He was saying that Peaky Blinders, obviously, which has been shot and he is editing at the moment and is going to, the final, sixth and final season is going to air in, uh, I think, spring next year, 2022. But he said that he is going to uh, begin production on the Peaky Blinders movie in 2023. So that is going ahead and that will be the very end of all things Peaky and if you really can focus on C seasons exactly. three and to a ten. Ultimately, that's what's happening. Yeah. Is he needs to clear that X. Yeah. He needs to get Peaky Blinders off the board so we can have like C seasons like one to a hundred, uh, and then you know a C, C movie, I, and then all, yeah. all the. I'd C like to see Stephen like crossover of his stuff where he brings because he's just done the Diana. That's what he was talking about. London Film Festival with the Princess Diana movie, isn't he? Spencer. That's that's that was the format that the. Um, you think a format. C Spencer? I like crossover. a C Spencer Diana <laughs> crossover of some kind. Yeah, I think it'd be good. Yeah. I I would I would pay real money to see Bubba Voss in Buckingham Palace. Yeah, yeah. 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 I pay to see Pikachu in Peaky Blinders. Julian mm, Murphy walking around with Pikachu. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh dear. Right, right, right. Are, are we done with news? Please say we're I done mean, with yeah. news. God, yes. yeah. My consciousness I mean, is waning. We're done with, yeah. Um, okay, fine. Let us move on now. As long <laughs> While we still have some gas in the tank, let's move on now to this week's reviews. Uh, I can't even remember what we're reviewing this week. <laughs> Succession. <laughs> yes, that's it. We'll save that bit till later. Oh, okay. Let's start while I still have energy with season two of Lock and Key. Now, uh, we've talked about the YAification of television, but uh, this is general YA, and this is based on the Joe Hill comic book series of the same name, and it is a slightly weird YA door-obsessed series where there are lots of keys and there are lots of doors, and then there's an echo, and then stuff happened. And Look, okay, so I quite enjoyed the first season of Lock and Key, but it became abundantly clear to me when I started watching this that I didn't remember what the fuck went on in it. I had no idea, no idea what was happening, like none. And and I couldn't, and so I had to go back and sort of look and try and find out what had happened in the first season. And I was quite lost going in. So I can only imagine how lost you two were <laughs> going into this, having not watched the first season. And I'm very excited to hear what you made of it. But uh, this does star, among other people, Amelia Jones, who was excellent in Coda this year uh, as uh, as Kinsey Locke. There is also a Bodie Locke and a Tyler Locke. There are a lot of locks. There are just as many keys. I don't know. Beth, what did you make of this? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm really enjoying this energy yeah. from you. I don't I don't know what's happening. I'm tired. It's fantastic. Yeah, no, hadn't hadn't seen first series, so I'm I'm just not as qualified for this. But I just did not have the time to go and watch it. I I really like the production value on this for one. That's something I can comment on relatively well. I think 
especially in like I've just reviewed and I can talk about it now I've just reviewed I know what you did last summer the series for <laughs> pilot which amongst a myriad of things that are wrong with it just that badly made yeah. which just feels really inexcusable now given the the caliber of young adult stuff coming out of Netflix and um, like it's prime studios as well no excuses I'm di- I'm I'm going off on one it, it looks it looks really really beautiful I love the world building um I, I didn't understand what was going on. I just didn't understand. But I thought the world building was really beautiful. Special effects, amazing. Really inventive, whatever was going on with the lock and keys. Uh, the young cast didn't irk me, which is, oh, you know, nice. which is great. Um, so yeah, generally like nothing to complain about. <laughs> Apart from it made no sense whatsoever. Apart from so, it made no sense, but that was on me. That wasn't anything really I mean, to do is with... Is it on you? Because again, like I came into this having seen the first season and I feel like, because it's, it's problematic. So you've got a thing where Again, not sports season one, but at the end of season one, someone who you think is someone turns out not to be someone, and then someone else gets possessed by something. So you end this with two characters who are not who they are. Yeah. And you're just like, what? Like, just what? Yeah. And even I, having seen the whole of the first season, was just like, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't remember how long ago it was. When did the first season air? Was it? Was uh, it? It was pre pandemic, wasn't it? February 2020. February, just, so yeah, just before as the, pandemic. the pandemic was forming. And wow. as as we've established, we have all, each of us, aged many decades since February 2020. <laughs> yeah. So, and in that time, I have forgotten absolutely everything about Lock and Key, yeah. which I, re- I remember enjoying. I remember enjoying season one. Yeah. However, I like, so I watched the first couple of these. And again, I was following at a distance. <laughs> and if I, you know, I think I was maybe surprised by how YA it felt. Because like, I enjoy like YA with edge. You know, I quite like the YA with edge stuff mm. where it's got it's got teeth, you know, it's got a little bit, ooh, it's a little bit edgy. This even has a plot line, like, you know, that adults can't see the magic stuff. And as people approach the age of, you know, what do we call it? Majority? Age of majority, yes. I was thinking, age of ascension, age of Aquarius. What, what am I thinking of? About? I can't even yeah. think of the words. Sure. When they approach the age of 18, they're starting not to be able to see the magic. And yeah. I think that kind of like gatekeeping where it's like adults out, kids in thing, I think amplifies the YA nature of the show yeah. to a point where I wonder whether it alienated me slightly. I guess what I'm saying is maybe I'm too old to see the magic. Eh, I mean, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, maybe that's uh, maybe that's a bit lost to me as well. But as I say, nothing really to complain about. I think it looked wonderful. Performances were great. There was a kind of, to go back to Pika Blinders, the, the the kids in it, the bad kids, were sort of set up as like the Jesse and James of that. They were like really villainous uh, kind of pieces of shit. It, was, it seemed like it was I think one of them is a demon, so yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> that explains everything. That explains a um, lot. It does begin, though, with a, a flashback to, what was it, the 16th century or yes. 17th century. Yeah. Which was unexpected. Yeah. Um, no idea what was happening there. That confused me. <laughs> yeah, it did like a leftover season two kind of yeah. vibe, didn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, so that was that was weird. And of course, every show has to have, when we wait till we get to American Crime Story, don't get me started. Um, but <laughs> every show has to have flashback and then you start with the... <laughs> By the way, complaint requests for Netflix people, this is first world problems, but you, see, they don't have, you don't get the recap. Because when this goes oh, out, let's yeah, face yeah. it, when this goes out to the general public, um, there will be a recap. I guarantee you, at the beginning of this episode, but for some, I think for some reason Netflix doesn't include the recaps yeah. of new seasons of things when they give them make them available to critics like us, critics in inverted commas. Um, so again, so yeah, I was I was fairly bewildered and having to kind of look back on 
Wikipedia as to what the hell was going on. But I agree with you that it does, it, the production values are. I did like the fact that the first episode, which is called The Premiere, revolves around a premiere of a film yeah. that the kids, the dweeby kids have made. Yeah. And there are loads of pop culture references to like, you know, Christopher Nolan. We tried mm. to Christopher Nolan. Um, and they and there's the idea that they made this film with the special effects sequences, which were inspired by their lock-based magi- magical skills, mm. which is quite clever. Yeah. So I liked yeah. all that. And, and the general dialogue surrounding this premiere event I thought was funny and kind and it, even though you know we have talked about the whyification whyification of dialogue in this case it is a YA show and actually the reference heavy kind of meta element to it adds to the to the enjoyment of the whole thing so I did I did actually enjoy the first episode more than I thought I was even though I was bewildered and confused and couldn't remember what the fuck went on in the first series this is the review isn't it lock and key Boyd enjoyed it more than he thought he would there we <laughs> yeah, go that's, exa- that's, that's the poster quote from Pilot TV yeah, that's exactly what I thought yeah yeah, it's fine I mean I, I, so I'm in the state where am I going to watch the rest of lock and key season 2 and I'm not sure I feel I'm maybe leaning towards it's doubt Full, which it is a shame because I enjoyed season one. Well, it didn't exactly have a massive cliffhanger, did it? At the end, I didn't feel like it tried, well, it did, it did did a bit. It? There's a bit like you know, it's oh Christ, this thing actually happened because no, there was a oh, switcheroo so. at the end oh, of right, season the one. Switcheroo, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. I was like, I was keen to see this, right? But I, I feel maybe I've just like yeah, Cart's not in it. Like Leonardo DiCaprio's girlfriends, I've just aged out of it. <laughs> wow. Oh dear. Anyway, 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 that is Lock and Key, and that airs on Netflix on Friday. Up next, we have Impeachment, American Crime Story, which comes to BBC Two this week, and this is Ryan Murphy's latest instalment in the American Crime Story saga, uh, and this is based on Jeffrey Tubin's book, A Vast Conspiracy, The Real Story of the Sex Scandal That Nearly Brought Down a President. Can't imagine why they didn't use that title. Um, <laughs> this stars Sarah Paulson, controversially somewhat, as Linda Tripp, Beanie Feldstein as Monica Lewinsky, and our one, our only, Clive Owen as President Bill Clinton. Now... Much as I'm, I think I'm going to save the main event, which is Beth talking about Ryan Murphy for a little bit down the line. Boy, you've been looking forward to this. What did you think? I've been looking forward to it. Partly because um, whatever you think of Ryan Murphy, <laughs> Beth, Beth is absolutely <laughs> right. About, absolutely love him. About, you know, I mean, we'll get to it, but he, obviously he's completely spread himself too thin. He's, he's like, I mean, there's two of his shows starting this week because we haven't, we can't do American Horror Story Double Feature, which arrives on Star and Disney Plus because it's embargoed. Um, well, even though it's all gone out in America, yep. um, we, they won't give us the screeners. Um, I'm complaining about that. Um, so, you know, he's got like, a, every week there's a new Ryan Murphy thing, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but this, in the case of American Crime Story, I felt that The People versus O.J. Simpson, which is the first series of American Crime Story, is the best thing he's ever done. I think that is peak Ryan Murphy. And he didn't mm. actually write much of it. I, don't, I think he kind of co-created it, produced it, but it was written by others. Mm. Um, and that series, which I've watched three times in full, Yes, I go back to it. I think it's so brilliantly done. It's so entertaining. And it gets the the tone between kind of quite high-minded um, uh, commentary on racism and society and what was going on at the time of O.J. Simpson's arrest and trial, etc. And just the sheer kind of pulpy, quite camp idea of watching these people playing these iconic figures. They're so like, you know, John Travolta playing, you know, the lawyer, the famous lawyer guy. Um, and just, and David Schwimmer yeah. as Mr. Kardashian, Robert Kardashian. There's a real, it really embraced um, the campness of that yeah. to some extent, whilst 
brilliantly retelling the story of O.J. Simpson, you know, with the Bronco chase and everything. And it's one of the, I think it's one of the greatest miniseries of all time. I'm not, uh, you know, I would say that. The second series of American Crime Story, which was um, the, which was the assassination of Gianna Versace, was also yeah. brilliant in a very different way. And that told the whole story backwards and was fascinating, I thought, in that way. And it, obviously quite a gimmicky thing with time, but I think it totally worked in showing you kind of what, went on with the guy who killed, um, who assassinated Gianni Versace. So I was excited because I think American Crime Story is one of the best things Ryan Murphy's ever done in mm. general. Yeah. Um, and I've got kind of mixed feelings. I didn't hate impeachment, right? My, my, Another poster quote. <laughs> here are my, on the negative, my issues with it are, are these. I think, unlike those two that I mentioned, I think tonally this is all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think they could really... Uh, harp, uh, and it, Well, the interesting thing is when this was first announced that they were going to do the story of Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky didn't want to have anything to do with it. And she was kind of, I think, quite annoyed about the whole idea. And Ryan Murphy said, well, we're not going to make it unless we've got Monica Lewinsky on board with this. And they, and, and she did a she changed her mind. And she actually she ended up being an exec producer on the show. Yeah. So not just an advisor, but basically... Nothing in this, no, not one moment of this story hasn't been approved effectively by Monica Lewinsky, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. Right. So that's one thing. Yeah. And I'm not sure that helps necessarily because then I feel like the amount of fun you're going to have with this show, where you get the real dirt. So when he do, does deal with all that, you know, him him lying to the world and saying I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Miss Lewinsky, and, you know, the stain on the dress and all of that, all of these kind of things that have gone into legends that are quite, let's face it, all these years away from it, quite, again, quite pulpy and lurid. They kind of have to, there's a kind of a potential almost that this is all about the politics of the situation and why it led to these right-wing people impeaching Bill Clinton. And in fact, there's a moment in episode two where someone says, this is about impeachment, you know, and politics is not about, um, you know, affairs and the human, the, the human heart. I'm like, well, actually, we're watching this mm. to see actors, famous people playing Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky, and seeing how they do and seeing them snog in the, in the, in the White House. And sure enough, you get that. And that is fun. I enjoyed that. I think she's brilliant. Beanie Felstein, perfectly cast. Even Clive Owen. I mean, you have to get around the fact they've slapped on this like oh latex stuff yeah. and makeup and yeah. gave him a false nose. And it look, he looks ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sorry. He looks fucking ridiculous. But credit to Clive Owen. Yeah. I, I, by the time, like about the fourth or fifth scene with him, and I think he mainly arrives in episode two onwards. I was kind of I'm actually I'm fine with it. Yeah, because he had to capture the charisma, the charisma, the charisma yeah. of Bill Clinton. I think pretty pretty well. So I was slightly I was looking forward to it. Then I was slightly dreading it once I seen the trailer and the t- and the embarrassing makeup. I mean, it's not embarrassing. What can they do? They just, you know they do their best. Cast but, yeah. someone else. I don't Maybe know. cast someone else. You're right. That was another option. You're right. <laughs> but. They did their best, but it's 10 hours, this thing. It's 10 episodes, right? I've watched the first three, and even halfway through the third, I'm like, this is getting, they're stretching this out a bit. It The time jumps all over the place. It starts in 1990, whatever, goes back and forward. It's constantly going backwards and forwards in time. It doesn't need to do that. I wish people would just stop. This would have been more interesting if it had stuck to the fucking chronological yeah. story. I'm sorry. It would have been more interesting, more entertaining. And every now and then it gets bogged down in this aren't these right-wing people horrible? Yes, we, they are horrible. We know they're horrible. We know they're exploiting the situation for political reasons. But the stuff with Bill Clinton and Monica Winsky, the two of them, is fascinating um, and, and fun to watch, basically. Yeah, that I will agree with. And I was, you know, I mean, you know how I feel about Ryan Murphy, but <laughs> I was interested and excited about the cast. I think that Beanie Feldstein is a really interesting, engaging 
young actor who's breaking out. She's got a great, like, I think she's got a background in, like, theatre. James literally yawning as I'm talking about. <laughs> Sorry. Is the yeah. stage that we're stifling like it a, through my Like a comical ramble. yawn yeah. Yeah. from across the studio. Yeah. Just, can't, just come and lie down. I yeah. can't, like... I just wake me up, like, in a bit. Oh, my God. <laughs> um... <laughs> Just to add to the indignity, it's like, he doesn't listen to me when I speak, he doesn't remember anything that I've written, and I'm yawning when I'm reviewing something. Literally (laughs) falling asleep. Um, Great theatrical presence to her. Um, I loved her in Booksmart. I think she's comedically fantastic. She's got a strong theatre background as well. She's playing Funny Girl in an upcoming Broadway show, which is really exciting. So that was exciting for me. Sarah Paulson, I just feel sorry for at this stage. Like, just free Sarah Paulson (laughs) from the shackles of Ryan Murphy. Even she can't even, like hold it in anymore as soon as as the press started for this show she was going in on the, the fat suit she had to wear for it and I think she's just had enough but something is maybe he's like got a kid's hostage I don't know <laughs> something <laughs> is keeping Sarah Paulson in the like vice like grip of and Ryan the annoying thing she was brilliant as Marsha Clark in the O.J. Simpson one yeah you, yeah she, fantastic but you're right yeah. I mean, yeah and I did I did I did <clears throat> And I agree with you on the other crowd. I love the campness. I love the colour of it. You know, the vivaciousness of of and the lewdness of of the OJ case and the celebrity aspects of those as well was super interesting. And the the kind of garishness of of high fashion and what that meant at the time. Really interesting. Love that. This was so sludgy and bland. Mm. I felt it was. For one, a dark show, as in like literally dark. It's in like the. It takes place a lot in the White House, but it's just shadows, and and I'm sure that's all part of it. Like, oh, what happens in the shadows? What happens in the corners of the White House? But it just meant it was really boring to look at. Um, I do agree. I do think Monica Lewinsky should be, you know, at least consulted in this, and you should have. I mean, we were talking about it the other week with the Savile stuff, and it is such a broad thing. And I do think, you know, if you are going to go in very thoroughly on someone's life, yeah, they probably should be present. They should advise, as you say. It almost felt like she was controlling this to the point where it was quite reserved in what it was trying mm. to say. Um, and totally too long, far too long. Far too long for a show already. If they, I, I, (laughs) we're going, we're going again. We're going again. Ten hour long episodes for this. Too much. I was reading about. So we've not got it to it yet. But but the one that's just come out in the US is the interrogation episode, which is where Monica Lewinsky is detained and interrogated by the FBI. Beanie Feldstein was um, interviewed for it. She said it took twenty three days to shoot that episode. Wow. 23 no. for an hour long oh, it's so long <laughs> which is the the opening of the whole series is the build up to that yeah yeah when she yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that is interesting you know she's just in a mall going to meet her friend in like a fanny pack or whatever she's wearing <laughs> and she looks young and I do think that that is really interesting to see this kid essentially having to be you know detained and interrogated and intimidated by essentially the most powerful influential government in the world one 23 year old however old she was and that's really interesting. The love story is really interesting. Clive Owen, God bless him, does his best under however many <laughs> things have been piled on him. Sarah Paulson's so annoying. Not, as, as in not her personally, obviously, but as, as Linda Tripp, they just paint her as the most... She's just the colleague you would hate to see first thing in the morning. If You you know, you yeah. just walk in, you're like, oh, yeah. Christ, it's you. You know, she's complaining. She doesn't answer her phone. She's complaining about people eating stuff in the fridge. Like, the lengths they go to to prove how annoying she is is, is really distracting and bloats out the, the series like to the point where it's just excruciating 
I don't, I just don't understand. I don't understand how this is 10 hours long. How long was Ratchet? It was like 13 hours long. <laughs> it wasn't that long. It just felt like <laughs> it. Just it. Felt I like think it was yeah. only, um, yeah, I think it was, might have even been seven or eight Ratchet, yeah. But the interesting thing, you're right about the, uh, this is, I'll tell you why this is 10 episodes, because the previous two series were 10 episodes. OJ Simpson was 10 episodes, the Sartre was 10 episodes, and there's not enough story. Yeah, there just isn't in, the, in this case. Story. You're right about Linda Tripp. The interesting thing about Linda Tripp is she comes out of it the, the worst, doesn't she? she you're right. Mm. She's immensely irritating but, and comes really badly she died in, in in a couple of years ago and i think you know that i think that's almost enabled them to, to treat her quite badly to her character comes See, really badly. i fundamentally think this is the biggest problem with the series because you spend such a disproportionate amount of time with linda tripp yeah, yeah. and she's such a hateful character yeah. i cannot speak to her as a person i've never met her but suddenly her character yeah, I've, I've never met linda tripp. Never <laughs> i mean i would have thought you would have done no, amazing but no <laughs> But but she's so hateful, and you spend so much time with her that it's just again it's the bell end factor is off the chains. I just I just couldn't do it. I was just like, this is really boring. You're awful in every. You're just so awful. <laughs> Played brilliantly, Sarah Paulson is yeah. a genius. Yeah. She's amazing at it. But it's a it's a hateful character, and I think yes, the juxtaposition between her and Beanie Feldstein actually works really well because whenever Monica Lewinsky's on screen, you're like, she's a very sympathetic character in a very sympathetic position. She's a an intern who gets dragged through hell by this event. But too much Linda Tripp, I just I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't do it. No, I was I was Linda Tripp in bald or something. I don't know, <laughs> but I, I just couldn't. I should well, not encourage you. You shouldn't no. encourage me. I'm like no, just just no, none of that. Linda Tripp You you straight She's Linda Tripping. I don't know something like that. Whatever. That is, I, that is, I'm semi delirious. This is gold. I'm just saying you be Linda Tripping. She, she was she was not nice, and I spent was too not. much time. You're now at the like screen. you now turned into like a drunk. Uh, uh, she's not nice. She's not, she's not nice, and I. Did not like her, <laughs> and as a result, I did not enjoy next this. Next bit, I love you, Linda Tripp. I love you. I, I love you so much, yeah. Linda Tripp. <laughs> oh god, well, that was brilliant. Anyway, yeah, yeah. And his American Crime Story. Sorry, impeachment colon American Crime Story, uh, which has been yes. in the states for some time. But and yes, the impeachment is, has gone to the right, front. Why is yeah. it at the front? Yeah, what, I mean. Yeah, it makes Why sense. Why is it at the front? Because, of course, American Horror Story colon double feature is that yeah. way around. Yeah, they've switched it to the Just front. Saying. I mean, some consistency is clearly yeah. too much to ask. But anyway, this drops on BBC Two at some point. Tuesday. Boy, Tuesday. 9.15. 9.15 <laughs> on yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. Great. Mm. I'm tempted to just put this whole podcast out unedited. Oh, so please, God. Just literally, just raw. Yeah. Just put it yeah. out there. And it, it, it's all this unfettered, yeah. sort of please slightly don't, hungover don't glory. Don't edit the tripping bit. Because that was... <laughs> Linda I, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I I do have a, a strong Sorry, suspicion I'm going to firmly regret recording this podcast. Um, anyway, let us move on to the final show of the day, which is, of course, Succession, which returns, which returns in all its glory for the third season. The Roys are back. You can't make a tomlet without breaking some Greggs. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, look, this show has some of the best lines ever. It's incredibly well written. It's all of these things. But but you still don't like it. I still don't How like it. How much of this series did you watch then? I watched preparation. The, just the first one. Oh, just the first oh, no. one. I couldn't make it through anymore. I'd planned to watch a few. So my plan this week, my plan this week was to watch the first episode of season three. And then it was to go straight back and then either start from the beginning again mm. 
or pick up from where I left off in season one and just go, do you know what? I'm going to make a go of this. And then I didn't. And the reason I didn't is because I realised why I don't like Succession. And it was a bit of a revelation to me. And I've always said it's because the show fails the Bell End Test. In fact, this was a show that instigated the Bell End Test. The yeah. Bell End Test came out of it's this show. Yeah. Yes, the Bell End exactly. Test. <laughs> and I stand by the Bell End Test as a kind of litmus test for me. But what I've realised with this is it's not just the Bell Endery for this. That's a factor. It's the Fremd Shaman. Like that's, or Fremd Shaman, as I think it's pronounced. That's what I can't get on with. It's the cringe. It's the vicarious cringe. Because like, this yeah. is like, a, this is a cringe show. And like, yeah. because it's not a comedy like The Office or like Curb, I guess I hadn't realised it was a cringe show. Because yeah. I thought, oh, this is, you know, it's a drama. Like, this, this is not. But I was watching it, I was like, oh my God. Like, the reason this is giving me such anxiety and it's making me so uncomfortable is it's a cringe show. And that's why I just viscerally hate it. Because I can't deal with it. But it's the right of peep show. Which is an inherently... Oh, but you didn't like Pooch Show, did you? For but the same... that's, but yeah. that's why I'm saying it shouldn't be a surprise to you. Right, right. Because that is an inherently cringy show. This is, you know, you've got, um, not Robert Webb, uh, Mark, mm, what's Robin, Mitch? David Mitchell? You've got David Not Mitchell editing this, carry on. <laughs> like, shitting with the door open while this boss watches. Like, yes. stuff like that is written into yes. the show. And one of my favourite things that I like to do when watching Succession, and I implore you to do the same if you're a Jesse Armstrong fan, <laughs> is to look for what I call the superhands lines. Oh, yeah. Because they're everywhere. And it just reminds you that the person that has created this show, created Peep Show, created yeah. Fresh Meat, you know, in the first episode of, of the new season. But Fresh Meat is not cringe. Not yes, really. It is. Oh, it is some. That's because, to some I mean, degree. you are. It's a little bit too close to home with you. Do you think that's right? Definitely yeah. Kingsley. Um, yeah, but, I mean, okay, the cr- Kingsley is cringe. Like hundred so percent Kingsley is cringe. I've just and he's, watched and, it all, and he's like, I don't make lemonade with my music. I make wine. It's yes. like things like yeah. that. Just but, real. But it's not stuff. cringe in the same way. Like, it's slightly cringe comedy, but it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. Right. Whereas, like, I, at no point did I ever find fresh meat excruciating. I just found it fun. Yeah. Whereas, like, yes, sure, he's a bit cringe, but it's not. It's not difficult cringe. So whereas succession like the office like curb it's proper crawl under the couch and die cringe like, I, and it's almost always Kendall for me like, yeah, it's almost oh, always Kendall like, anytime I'm screen, I'm like oh please stop talking oh please stop talking yeah. I can't deal with this stop talking yeah. and it's just it destroys me I can't do it the, you saying that I found it really difficult there is a there is a conversation between Kendall and this and two consultants that yes. have been brought into yes, oh, the amazing. social media yeah. people yeah. Yeah. Jesus like recoiling oh, and God. that was littered with super hands lines uh, things like Kendall was like yeah I want to take my, my Twitter thread and make it like a powder keg and like oh you know that's like the straight chino leg of the of the take of things I know fuck me right and that is that is like exactly what Superhands says it's exactly the sort of thing and I just love looking at that and being like that's what Superhands would say only it's a member of the New York New York like elite like I love that writing in, in the shell of this like horrible family only I don't know. Maybe this is me getting soft in my old age, and I don't know. If I I find myself feeling increasingly sorry for those people. Like, yes, they are all just fucked and trying to trying to trying to make make their like way through the world. I think something that becomes more and more obvious as I watch it is these characters do not know how to speak to people. They, oh God, yeah. The, yeah. the children, the Roy children. Mm don't know how to communicate to people. They don't know how to, to look at someone and have a conversation with them. Like, they are. And and we're talking about Roman. Roman can't get through a sentence without trying to crack a, a, right, a horrible right. joke or, yeah. or rip the piss out of someone or go into kind of like a little sing-song. Absolutely extraordinary performances, extraordinary writing. 
but yeah, oh, yeah. I think what you so what I what was crystallised for me in, and I mean, I think the it's good that you've re- we've realised that you, it, is, it is the cringe element. You're right. That that is the you have a whole. I mean, you don't even like the fucking office. I mean, you know, the one of the greatest. <laughs> it's so, not that I don't like. I can't. I just can't, can't, can't watch, watch it. it right. I just yeah. can't. The cringe watch factor it. is, and they ratchet up. Yes. the cringe factor yeah. to peaks. That is that is the absolute brilliance of the writing, conception, and the acting, and everything. The direction is that the. the Peaks of the show are the most, or I mean, the rap, you know, in Kendall's rap in series two is one of the most cringy things in the history of culture, let alone television. So, yes, that is exactly what they're going for. But I think what you, what I realized in, the, and I, so I was constantly thinking, well, I'm watching this stuff and I'm constantly thinking, well, is James going to enjoy this finally? You know, I mean, what a fucking psychopath you're talking about. Like, that, I should be worried about that. But, well, I did I felt I I think you do feel for the characters, even though obviously these are the most privileged, obnoxious, belendery people on yeah. the planet. Yeah, you know, if, if you if you think of the real world equivalents, you know, the 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 children of Rupert Murdoch, and I know it's not completely based on Rupert, but you think of those. I'm not going to fucking feel sorry for those utter, you know, bellends uh, uh, as well, because they are complete bands that are mostly the Rupert Murdoch's offspring. But as you say, they can't deal, they're, they're horrendous to, you know, the staff, you know, to service industry people. You know, they, that every, all those details of just, they Fly don't Fly your even, fucking whirlybird. Or right. Drive, drive your fucking yeah, whirlybird. All of that. <laughs> Is so brilliantly observed and painfully real, mm. and the the whole um, and just that things reach a peak of insanity very very quickly, yeah. and yet yeah. every time it does, it's so for me entertaining. I love it. So mm. like I, I, I'm incredibly entertained by all of these characters. It's like he's created, you know, and a whole family, every single member of which is phenomenally funny and entertaining. And you're either laughing with them or at them a bit, both. Yeah. Um, every time you think a character, particularly with Kendall, you know who. Who, who in, let's face it, has completely betrayed his dad, and yet his dad was setting him up for a fool. So you're like, there's an equal level yeah. of disgustingness going on there yeah. with father and son. But as he goes on, every time he he thinks he's achieved something triumphant, and he's like punching the air, then he gets fucking knocked massively, yeah. and there's a, and he's broke, brought down. There's an episode where he's about to go on TV, and he ends up in the cupboard, in in, in <laughs> you know, kind of, and he, it's, he's going to be his big moment, yeah. and then he's and that's the final scene is just him in the fucking cupboard, yeah. reduced to like nothing, yeah. and you're. Well, you're painfully aware all the way through that for the kids, these are kids of a man who loves power and money and his fucking company more than them. And I think that's the key to it for me, is that you're always reminded that these, the, the even though they're horrible, there's a reason why. And it's because of his cold, chilling disdain for them all. Yeah. And they're all, he thinks they're all pathetic. And he's enjoying the, the game that he plays with them, that he's been playing since season one. And you know, and and, and that brings him more more. I think entertainment in himself. I think he finds it entertaining to play these, force them to play these games, yeah. to constantly be tricking with them. And his fury is when they won't play along with the game. And when you know, when Kendall betrays him, it's like he's punctured the whole thing. And that's why he's so furious. That's why he's calling everyone a cunt in in, in you know episode one and two <laughs> and, and completely. So I think the whole thing is like I just find everything every single scene works so hard to be funny and entertaining and real. It's just it's it's a masterpiece. And I, I think, you know, I said in my Empire review, I think it's now, for me, it's now, it's got better and better and better. Yeah. And it's now, watching watching as much of season three as I have, I'm like, this is, you're now, we're now in Mad Men, West Wing, yeah. Sopranos territory. I just think that we're watching. Steady. Yeah, we are though. I think we're yeah. watching uh, one of the great shows of our time. This is what, and for me, and there's an episode, I'm, I was trying to think, you know, 
all of the episodes that I watched, there's an episode which is Kendall's birthday party, which is called Too Much Birthday. Right? <laughs> and it, that episode alone, it just sums up everything that's wrong about these people yeah. and that's wrong about privilege and and entitlement and everything wrong about Kendall particularly and all everyone else in it and Kendall like what sets up the most spectacular birthday party for himself mm. there's ever been in this massive huge setting yeah. and he gets all these obnoxious twats to create this perfect birthday for him and he's hired all these like rappers and DJs and people oh, and everyone's there and but in the end the emptiness of it yeah strikes him yeah. and strikes him hard and it's so brilliantly done Ugh. that I think that's the best episode so far I think that's the greatest episode so far which I think is I don't know five, six or seven or something. It's all, yeah. it's, all, it's all a blur. But it's even better than the first two series. It is one of the greatest things ever. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> You're completely right. I'm there with you. And it makes me do, it made me do a lot of, and this, this is going to be my West Country accent. It made me do like gasp. God, I can really hear it in myself. Like gasp laughs. Yeah. Like real, because it's a show that like redefined, it's redefined malice to me. It's to the point now where these core players operate with such malice but it's like like you've just described with this birthday episode it's such empty malice at this stage it's such desperate needs to hurt each other because of how much these characters in themselves are hurting and are stunted and the only way they know how to communicate is to kind of lash out and manipulate and this kind of Machiavellian strategy that they they keep using to undermine their own siblings their own family but it's it's completely redefined it to me. You're not you you just find that you're constantly shocked, but at the same time not shocked at all by their their yeah. behaviour. Yeah. And then you've got these wonderful characters weaving in and out, like Greg, who Nicholas Braun has just become a presence all of his own now, like the 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 Dunbridge puppy dog. But you still find him really endearing and so funny and silly. Um, and then Jerry is just a Don. Oh, Jerry. Like, oh, just so good. Yeah. Like, even, you know, yeah. Don. Yeah. Did you see? Is this? I think this scene might be an episode two of this, where um, where Greg goes to see um, uh, Logan and doesn't know what to drink. Have you? If you got to that scene yet? Oh, there's a scene where he doesn't. Yeah. So Logan's offering him like they have a one on one. Yes. And obviously he's completely terrified. Yeah. And Logan's like absolutely toying with him, and he's like, "Shall I drink? Shall I drink something alcoholic?" And it's absolutely hilarious. Yeah. It's just so brilliantly done. Yeah. Um. And there's this political thing. So he's. I think I remember in, interviewing um Jesse Armstrong for Pilot TV. Um. For I think before season two, and he mm. said their big thing is in the because they have a writers' room and they have you know different brilliant writers as well as him working on the whole thing. And what they always show him to do is not repeat themselves. Mm. And I think what they've what one of the great achievements of this season is the politics angle. Yeah. And there's an episode where basically they are um, without wanting to spoil it, but they that, the way the family is going to pick effectively the next president of the United <laughs> States is it's just almost in passing. Oh it's almost like in gosh. passing, we're going to determine the next yeah. president. And yes, they probably will will and do, yeah. would do, and the equivalent of them would do in real life. So just even that feels like a new strand yeah. of the whole thing. It's, it's always been politics kind of bubbling under, but yeah. it's much more explicit this time around, yeah. adding to the brilliance even more. Brilliant. I mean, I could go on. We could, we could go on about on it. I will say they just did it like, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I've got to them yet, but m amazing directors for this. We've got um, yeah. Lorraine Scafaria, who did Hustlers, one of my favourite films, yes. and Kathy Yan of Birds of Prey. And I really like that they're bringing in these filmmakers 
fresh off the back of these big successes to essentially come in and guide this this terrible Val family through the, 100%, the next chapter. Yeah. But I'm on board. Yeah. I think this is one of the great TV shows of this era. You are poised. Ready I can't to... disagree with you. I can't like genuinely like the writing is on another level. Mm. It's incredible, mm. and the performances are peerless. Like I can't criticize this on any level other than. <laughs> It is my kryptonite. Like, I can't. I just yeah. can't deal yeah. with it. And yeah. it, it is partly the bell end testing. That isn't. That is an issue I have. Like yeah. I need to be. Able, I need an access point. I need someone that I don't objectively just hate. And I don't have that here. But it is the cringe. <laughs> like more than anything, it yeah. is the cringe. And it's interesting that I've only just realised that. Like it, I watched six episodes of the first season and didn't realise the thing that I was struggling with was that. And yeah. that that is it. Um, <laughs> but we won't talk about succession any longer and the reason we won't talk about succession any longer I think is because we there's a very real chance we will have a succession podcast special <laughs> going up on the feed next week where we will have some of those bellends on this show Fantastic. Uh, so that'll be pretty exciting so do keep an eye on your feed for that later this week a succession special but uh, yes that was succession and that uh, that drops on Sky Atlantic Boyd when does it drop uh, Monday, uh, today, effectively, uh, as the podcast goes out. Um, yeah, Sky Atlantic now, uh, 9 o'clock. I think they're showing them at 2 a.m. the previous night as well. Like the, Only know, a sociopath watches it at 2 a.m. Well, I will know. just say as a final point, if yeah. you're not already, I encourage you to do an interpretive dance to their theme song. It's re- it really just kicks off the episode on a I high. mean, uh, the theme song is one of the great... I mean, again, I'm 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 just talking like as if, every, as if the whole thing is the greatest thing. But the theme tune generally is one of the great theme tunes. Ever. One of the greatest theme tunes. It, it is good. And it's it's good. Yeah. Up, doesn't it? So I think what's brilliant about the best theme tunes ever, I think, is that they kind there's exciting as soon as it arrives, something exciting about the theme tune, the deployment of yeah. it. So they might have a cold open, then the theme tune arrives, and it's so it's so magisterial. Oh my god. That it sets you, it makes you even more excited for what's yeah. about to come. As soon That's as the it's genius doomed. of it. Yeah. yeah, as soon as it drops, yeah. you're like yes, and then I'm on my feet. I, I, I implore you what, to do an interpretive. Have you videoed dance. yourself? Is there is there a is TikTok, there a TikTok? Bet's TikTok channel? <laughs> Bet's interpretive oh, dance. I can't succession do the TikTok. TikTok. Can't do the. I TikTok. think that could be make a TikTok star of you if you, no. if you put up. My goodness, no. A friend and I, we we do something called the successions, where we sit down and we go through a block of them, and we make it a tradition. <sighs> we do a, an interpretive dance every single. Oh come on, this is this is this is magnificent. Yeah, yeah. this is great. I promise you. Yeah. When you go and see it, because you're seeing it as part of London Film Festival yeah. can you just get up and lead the crowd in an interpretive mm, dance? I don't think so no. no I think the cast will be there yeah yeah let's, yeah let's not go too far you should though okay yeah alright well I'll see you there I'll be up on stage <laughs> Well, is there anything else out this week, Boydie, that we've forgotten? There's, of course, oh, there's yes. a bunch of stuff. Uh, yes, there's more stuff on. Well, we've already mentioned American Horror Story double feature. Yes, starts on Wednesday. Yes, on the Star on Disney Plus. I've heard good things yeah, about same. it. Like I have it's supposed as well. to be a good one, but for reasons unknown, and despite the fact that literally the first half of the double feature and the start of the second half have aired in the states, yeah. they're not providing review yeah. episodes. I think American it's because Beth has got such a downer. Do you think on it's Ryan that? Murphy? Yeah. I think the Disney Plus people have. Yeah, Beth was like, he. I don't really yeah, think this. He has I'm to joking. stop. And they're like, fine, we will stop. Yeah. And so they stop. Yeah, we won't let you see I mean, it. It's yeah. great for me. But... I like American Oscar generally. But um, the fact that Macaulay Culkin's in it as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that guy is my interest. Say what you like about Ryan Murphy. He, he likes a good bit of stunt casting, and I'm, I'm here for that mm. to some extent. Leverage Redemption, of course, yeah. is also out this week on Friday. That's on IMDb TV, and that's the spin off of the other show, Leverage, which I've neither seen nor know anything about. Yeah, so. people picked this up. Well, one person picked this up on Twitter. Right? Yeah. But apparently, it's good. Like, Leverage, yeah. I've heard. 
I've heard good things yeah. about Leverage Redemption. It's worth mentioning that Invasion drops yes. on Apple TV Plus on Friday as well. Invasion, which we have seen, yes. but because it's an Apple show, it yes. is of course embargoed. Massively embargoed. Exhaustingly embargoed. <laughs> until embargoed. The day so long, we, long embargo months. We will get into Invasion next week. Yeah. We obviously cannot talk about that now. There's a feature-length TV drama. That I, when, we, when we were discussing these things on the WhatsApp group, I didn't even mention this because I knew it would rile up. <laughs> it would rile you up so much, James, that I wasn't even going to suggest review it, but it's a 90-minute um, film made for television yep. drama <laughs> starring Jason Watkins with John Hamilton about a big um, um, conspiracy thriller climate gates affair of 2009 when a scientist Philip Jones kind of was accused of, of of wrong data and there was a whole thing so that's part of the whole you know kind of environmentalist mm. theory of the moment okay that is on tonight, Monday, as you listen to this, 8.30 BBC One. There's a brilliant documentary that I've seen some of on Wednesday on BBC Two called Four Hours at the Capitol, 9 o'clock, which is about the Capitol invasion mm. of June, January uh, 6th, which yeah. is like a 90-minute epic as well. Yeah. Um, I think that's maybe mostly... Oh, oh Aquafina from Queens, that yes. show. Oh. Aquafina is Nora from Queens. Yeah. Yes. That show, season two, is available on iPlayer from um, the weekend of the weekend, Sunday, I think. I will definitely watch that. It was good. Yeah, yeah I liked loved the first it. season. I think that may be maybe just about. I'm just looking through. Oh, Fear the Walking Dead. Did you mention that? I did. Yeah, no. it continues on, a- on AMC. So um, it does. Even, yeah. James can't keep So it does. Even yeah. I came up. Yes, that's tonight. It's that's on Monday. Yes, season yeah. seven of yeah. Fear the Walking I mean, Dead. It's still going. Someone's still watching that. Um, <laughs> Lenny James is still in it, I think. And now, I, I love I mean, Lenny, Lenny James. James is a legend. I love so, Lenny James. You know, and he directs episodes now. Oh, see, stuff. now I want to watch it. Yeah. You can have to well, watch see, it Fear the Walking Dead is one that I have been, I've meant to get back into. I have. Like, I haven't abandoned it. I'm just behind by a few years. <laughs> and Shetland, which is a really good BBC One um, heard, crime show. I've heard pony. Douglas Henshaw. That's on six series. Oh, my God. Like the dad jokes. I'm really dad tired. Jokes. Great. I'm really tired. It's a whole new world of dad jokes. Um, <laughs> yeah, Shetland. It's, it's a good, really good crime show. That starts back on Wednesday at 9 o'clock on BBC One. Yeah, I think that might be it. Big weird. A lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I know what you're thinking. The Good of the Doctor, week is. did you mention that? No, I did not oh, mention fuck, the, the Good, good Doctor. doctor. <laughs> Season five starts on Tuesday on Sky Witness. Right. Yeah. People like that show. <laughs> That's really lame. <laughs> That's so that was, but they do. There we go. That's enough. <laughs> right. Okay, pick of the week. I'm assuming it's just oh, succession. Of course, it bloody is. Okay. Any questions? Which episode? <laughs> I've, only, I've only watched two because I've been so busy with pilot stuff oh, this week, yeah, and I bad. really did just want to sit down and enjoy it. So I've watched two. Well, you've got a treat to come. Yeah. 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 But um, Scorch. I feel really obnoxious that, by the way, I, uh, that we're, um, we're we are critics again, critics in quotes, are sent seven episodes this season because it is only weekly. To remind everyone, yeah. when it goes out on HBO Sky. And how many episodes are there in total? Uh, nine. Uh, so, so just haven't given you the last two. Yeah. Just be maddening. Like, yeah, I mean, but no, I'm, I mean, I'm feeling incredibly privileged that I've been able to watch. I've been able to binge on them, and I feel painfully aware that people aren't able to binge on them. Yeah. Have to, but you now have to wait week. that much longer to I'm find out how it ends. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to play about that. That would make me even more rebellion than I already am. <laughs> you are incensed. Even more of a Roman Roy. Incensed by yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I guess that is it for this incredibly low energy, unscripted, anarchic, <laughs> and not particularly coherent episode of the Pilot TV podcast. Uh, <laughs> I've been your host, Boyd Hilton. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what's going on or who I am at this stage. I will say that uh, we'd like some stars. Please send us some stars. Go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. That'd be great. Um, we're on social media, at Boyd Hilton, at Beth Gay Webb, at James C. Dyer. I'm one of them. I'm not sure which one. Um, and next week, I'm thinking, am I right in saying next week we will, in fact, be Doctor Whoing? No. 
We won't, because um, the embargo only, doesn't allow it. Uh, only, I'm not sure if it will be made available for us. I see. So in theory, we should, because it does sit on the Sunday. Yes, it does. Uh, Halloween. But you don't think I we'll see it? I very much doubt they'll make it available, <gasps> yeah. yeah. That, I, I did ask, because um, I, I interviewed, uh, we did interviews for, for Empire and stuff, but um, I don't think we'll get to see it. I may be wrong, maybe may okay. be wrong, but yeah, sadly. Kirby Enthusiasm is next week as well. Haven't been sent that either. Furious. Right. Absolutely so, fucking furious. Sounds like an essential episode yeah. next week. <laughs> I mean, all I could say, yeah, I'm still holding out hope that we'll get to see it, but yeah. No, there's loads of stuff, though, starting there next is loads of stuff we will obviously be talking about invasion as well so we'll be reviewing that uh, the long the, call the actual long call which is the long call we might end up week, doing so yes hopefully. there'll be a whole bunch of things and before that before we even get into that a succession special at some point Amazing. finding the time I don't know when or how <laughs> but uh, but yes that's the thing to look forward to as well oh god until then I'm going to sleep um, I'll see you next week probably pilot out pilot out